Welcome to Otaku Brothers, your friendly neighborhood gaming podcast featuring Rusty and Ryan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 126 of Otaku Brothers. My name is Rusty, and as always, I'm joined by my forever co-host and brother-in-law, Ryan, how you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah. Caffeinated, ready to go, and uh, ready to introduce a new person. That's right. Yes, today is a particularly special day because we did, as we were talking before the opening of the show, that we had Lauren on not too long ago. Yeah. My wife, your sister. But uh, to break in this next 100 episodes of Utaka Brothers, Ryan and I kind of needed to find our footing those first 25 episodes, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the new direction of the show, if you will. But we are ready to bring back a guest, a first-time Otaku Brothers guest host today, someone that I I believe, we'll find out here shortly, I met through the YouTube gaming community, and more recently joined the Discord, has been super active participant, and just a great person to talk to. You can find him on Twitter and YouTube as Devil May Pie. what an interesting name, Welcoming to the show for the very first time, Danny, how the heck are you doing? Hey guys, how's it going? Uh, it's DMP or Devil May Pie. Um, friends can call me just Devil or Danny, uh, casually as well. Uh, it's a privilege and honor to, to be on here. Um, I'm new to the Otaku Brothers community, so I really appreciate, you know, Rusty reaching out to me uh, to join the Discord and uh, to be a part of the show. So I've been, you know, listening for the past maybe 10 or dozen or so episodes now, so it's my usual rotation of podcasts now when I play my long games and JRPGs. So mm. yeah, it should be a lot of fun. So I'm really thankful for you guys for having me. Of course. Absolutely, dude. It's going to be a fun show. We definitely have a packed agenda. As Ryan and I, we've I think we said on last week's episode that um, we've kind of mapped out the episodes we have in the pipeline throughout the rest of this year. And as I was thinking about people that you know Ryan and I would love to have on the show, topics that we wanted to discuss, you know, Everyone that's listened to Otaku Brothers, particularly this past year, I would say, I've just been on this crazy PlayStation Trophy binge. I, I don't even want to disclose how many Platinums I've gotten in the past, uh, you know, 12 months or so. It's it's, it's a little... Gross. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's kind of embarrassing. We're going to get to it later in the show, though, and I there's no one else on the planet I'd rather have on the show to talk about trophies than DMP because... He is actually a recent retired trophy collecting veteran, you might even say. Dude, welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I never started, but I like, welcome to the club. <laughs> yeah. So I thought Danny would yes, be I, a great person should, to have on because should of that. Should be fun. Absolutely. And uh, another recent PlayStation exclusive recently released. So we got to talk about Kana Bridge of Spirits. All three of us have recently completed that game. So. That'll be fun to kind of talk through as well. So stay for the PlayStation Trophy conversation later in the back half of the show if you're interested in that kind of thing. We have a lot of fun facts. We brought our trophy stats. Um, I kind of brought some history around the origins of PlayStation trophies. So whether you're a avid collector of trophies or not, I think it'll still make for a pretty interesting and fun conversation. But before we get into that, before we get into the Cane and Bridges Spirit stuff, Whenever we have a guest on Otaku Brothers, I always love picking their brain, getting an idea of, you know, what really got you into video games, the hobby in general, maybe some of your first video game experiences, the first console you played. 
Danny, please enlighten us. Why do you love video games and when did you get started playing them? Um, I got started as, as young as I can remember. Uh, my very first console was the Super Nintendo. Um, I believe it was back in 1994. I was mm-hmm. four years old. Uh, my dad picked it up for me. Uh, you know, he works overseas. I don't know if I, I, I was uh, from Thailand originally. And uh, mo- mo- most of the game consoles at that time were imported, you know, from like, Japan or U.S. And um, yeah, uh, the very first game I remember playing was Mega Man X. Um, no. Not an easy game, uh, but but I was I was pretty beast at it as far as I can remember at the age <laughs> of four. Um, not sure if I can beat it now, but but yeah, Mega Man Mega Man fan growing up, and um, you know I played your usual platformer suspects, more kitty games like Capcom Disney licensed games on mm. Super Nintendo, uh, Super Mario World, stuff like that. And then uh, after that, I I didn't go to the N sixty four. My next console was the PS one. And uh, that that's where I find my love for uh, JRPGs and uh, the types of games I, I love playing today. So, and and also I had all the handhelds, all the Game Boys and stuff. Played Pokemon like uh, a lot of people. So I, I say that's where where I started gaming, and it's always been a big big part of my life, like my main hobby. So and that that's never changed. That's awesome. Well, one thing I do want to go a little bit deeper into because recently you had a live stream talking through kind of the best video games from the year 2005. And so you were kind of walking through and, and, and ranking your top 10 list of games that came out in that year. And something that you said pretty early on in that live stream was that, as you kind of just mentioned, you spent some of your young adult life living and growing up in Thailand and a big thing over there at the time. And I, I can actually attest to this because my dad had a buddy, uh, they're still very good friends, that worked overseas. And he, I remember him coming back from, uh, I was either Thailand or or some other uh, country over there, and he brought back, like, this bag full of, like, pirated DVDs. And I remember specifically watching Matrix Reloaded. He brought a copy when it was still in theaters over here to the States, and it it basically was as if someone had, you know, recorded the film in a theater or something uh, like that. But what I want to dig deeper into with you is, you know, what was it like growing up there with video games? And did you, like, how significant of an influence did it have with the piracy and getting access to, I assume, dozens of PS2 games for relatively cheap? Uh, yeah, that's that's a great point. And that, that sounds about right about those pirated cam DVDs. Of very terrible <laughs> quality. But if you want to watch, you know, Matrix Reloaded the same day as the theater, that, that's the way to do it. Game goes. I think it started more when the disc-based uh, systems were out because those are so easy to copy and pirate. I I don't remember during when I had the Super Nintendo. I don't I don't think those were pirated carts. But uh, really, the PS One era is when it kicked off, and I guess uh, Dreamcast too. But Dreamcast didn't really take off over there. But uh, yeah, it's just so easy to reproduce. Um, the gaming market in Asia right now is much healthier. They have like you know actual distributors and you know you can buy legit copies for you know pretty close to american prices sometimes cheaper but back then everything was imported and the import shops you know would would charge so much and it's it's you know most people in that country you know are not that rich or don't they don't own uh, the newest consoles so so pirated games and dvds are are just the norm there uh it's you know it's the cops or whatever the law they're kind of look the other way so it's just a normal Mm -hmm. part of life and uh, both PS1 and PS2 era was, yeah, was, was, I was kind of like a spoiled kid. Any game I wanted was, you know, no more than $2. So I, wow. I basically tried everything and everything I wanted to. So it was really nice growing up over there and, uh, and just, just get a chance to get a taste of every single game uh, and genre. So, so yeah, it, it was pretty kind of a culture shock when I moved over to the US uh, and didn't have access to that anymore. Well, that's, that's what fascinating to me. So, 
when you had access to all these games, I assume they didn't have some kind of corporate place like a GameStop where you could walk in and there was just, you know, dozens of walls or walls with dozens and dozens of games. What did it look like in terms of going into retail stores and, and finding games? Yeah, so I, I'm, I, I come from a small town over there. So there's only actually one or two legit retail stores that, you know, that sold uh, the, the consoles and, and actual uh, legit copies. So you go to a mall and they'll just be like, like, hole in the wall stands they'll just be binders full of games they're usually cover arts they keep keep the discs like separately and you'll tell the guy hey i want you know crash bandicoot or final fantasy 10 you just flip through like a big binder and just tell them what you want and it's like um yeah you go to this building they usually call them like a like a technology center where they sell like computer parts and all all sorts of uh, you know gadgets and stuff like that and there'll be ton of like pc and you know console video game vendors because if you really think about it, it's, it's pretty much just like putting dumping the ROMs on the disc. I mean, if you you have the capability and a little bit of a budget, anyone can sell pirated games. So it's it's just all over the place. And sometimes they even have have them like in like um outside. They have like street markets like in the evening time. They'll they'll open up. You can buy like food, random street food, and then you go to this other corner. There'll be you know DVDs and games. So that that's just how the culture is like over there. Wow, really cool. that's so interesting. I love that. Um, I love piracy. <laughs> well, no, it's just so interesting to hear about that because, it's like, so for, different. for me, you know, growing up, I, I didn't, I wasn't exposed to that, right? Yeah. So it's just interesting to hear that different perspective, and uh, that was some that was, that was your reality, right? So that's just interesting that you got uh, exposed to so many different games. Do you was there a particular game on like the PS2 that you remember going to a store like that and taking home and just uh, I don't know if like, I want to say like reshaping your love of games, but that was just really influential and whether it was getting into rpgs or just uh the ps2 era in general um i think that that started more with the ps1 Mm, um you know i was able because because i was able to try a bunch of different ones but uh the one that really started for me was final fantasy 9 um Mm -hmm. and then another interesting i'm sorry this might be a tangent um big part of uh games over there is uh we get japanese games as well and uh what's and you would think, like, how, how would you be able to understand and read it and everything? Well, they would have strategy guides for a lot of these Japanese games uh, di- uh, almost day and date. So I remember playing Final Fantasy IX before it even came out in English, uh, in Japanese. And I had, like, a kind of like a, you know, cheaply put together strategy guide. But but it worked. And, and that's how I got into Final Fantasy and RPGs in general. And, uh, yeah, just just like, and strategy guides were only a few bucks as well. So it was just interesting to, to, to have, you know, access to not only, you know, English games, but Japanese games. Pretty, pretty left relatively close to when they came out so i was able to you know try out a bunch of weird games some games i don't even remember their names of anymore so did you pick up any of the japanese or can you speak or read japanese at all having played all of those kind of japanese games absolutely not <laughs> <laughs> touche fair enough fair enough so then you played final fantasy 9 then well before you played final fantasy 7 did that like inspire you to go back and play 7 and 8 or did you kind of wait a little bit longer before going back and playing some of those um another interesting story i guess i can get into i i did play 7 and 8 first but i didn't really get into it or beat it um because i was relatively young and like i, I kind of see uh rpgs as like the the older kids game um there was this one guy in the neighborhood, um, you know, he he's a couple years older than me. He would always get the newest consoles and stuff first. I'll go to his house. I'll watch him play FF7 and like Chrono Cross and just be blown away. Like, oh, man, this game looks so cool, but I don't know if I can play it. So like I would watch him play. He'll hand me the controller. And I did that for a couple years. And, and then after a while, I'd be like, OK, I want to play one for myself now. So 
at that time, Final Fantasy IX was coming out, and I decided that was going to be my first uh, RPG I'm going to play and complete from start to finish. And uh, that's what I did, and uh, that's where the love began. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, because, and that was really what I was going to get into um, with you, and I know we're going to focus our conversation later in the episode around trophies, but I did want to just pick your brain about Japanese RPGs or JRPGs just because... You know, when I think about you, I think about, you know, your your name to me is synonymous with JRPGs because I always see you talking about it on Twitter and a lot of your YouTube channel kind of revolves around that as well. So to hear that, you know, Final Fantasy IX is kind of the, the game that kind of kickstarted your love for that genre is really neat because I feel like for me, it was probably more Kingdom Hearts when I was about 10 years old. Um, but just before I went to college, I think it was, it could have been when I was in college and, um... I kind of came back for a break or something like that. Final Fantasy IX was, I think, the first game in the series that really kind of kickstarted my love um, a little bit more so than ever before for JRPGs. Final Fantasy Thirteen is up there as well, but Nine, I think, is just... It's such a special game. I, I th- the aesthetic of it all, the characters, the music, it's just a very distinct game in the series for me. Uh, and again, my my exposure and experience playing Final Fantasy is, is somewhat limited, but I feel like if you just look at the the graphical style and the storytelling from some of the earlier entries and even later ones, 9, I feel like, is just kind of... Um, it's kind of a, a thing of its own, if you will. So that's really cool that that um that's kind of the one that kickstarted your love. So I guess kind of digging a little bit deeper then in the JRPGs, um, years go by and even now today as an adult, you, you, you love them and you play them so often. Um, if people haven't seen your video around, you know, your burnout with JRPGs, I guess, how do you keep up the stamina for playing some games that are like are so demanding of your time and still find uh, a way to in- enjoy so much of them? Yeah, so I mean, what makes them so great is like, Yes, it can be long and, and it can seem daunting, but I don't know. I just don't find any other uh, genres or experience kind of hit me the same way um, because I, I, va- I value story and characters a lot um, in, in games. And when you have, you know, a, a decent amount of length to like expand and, and dig deep into these characters and learn more about them and uh, it just makes you fall in love with them and, and the journey you go on through the end. So and I just like a nice adventure. Um, yes, there'll be some hard battles and bosses along the way, but. I don't know, just that satisfaction of you know reaching the end and uh, with all these like casts you love and usually with JRPG there's a lot of games I like have amazing music so it, it's just um, to, to put a comparison to movies I guess it's almost kind of like Lord of Rings trilogy um, mm-hmm. it's just nothing quite like that that magical experience and, and journey uh, you, you go on yeah that's a great point so what do you find is a good way to wade into the JRPGs because my kind of interaction with JRPGs besides, like, Pokemon, which, I don't know if you'd consider that, like, a full-fledged JRPG, was really Dragon Quest Eleven, and that started because of Rusty. Um, so is there an easy way... I mean, Persona 5 was not a good way to roll into JRPGs. <laughs> is there, like, a, or a group of games that you would consider a good way to kind of handhold me into JRPGs? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Dragon Quest Eleven. I think that's actually the perfect game uh, I would recommend to people. Uh, I haven't beaten it myself, but I think uh, the the battle system and and you know just the f- mechanics of the game is simple enough and not overwhelming uh, like like Persona can be. Because mm-hmm. like I, I think when you when you bog down the game with too many systems and mechanics, it kind of scares away people. Uh, besides the length, so um, if if you if you can get in the head, headspace playing maybe in you know 
like other Final Fantasy games, it's very much accessible now. Um, whether it be you know the Seven Remake or even the original Seven, Eight, and Nine, they're all on PlayStation, which and Xbox. Which uh, it's crazy to believe you know ten years ago we'll see Final Fantasy on Xbox, yeah, and FF Seven, let alone on the Switch. So, so I, I think just and also maybe finding um, a battle system you like. Um, turn based might be hard for some people. So maybe trying maybe some of the more action oriented ones. Uh, I think some of the earlier Ease games are really good. Maybe mm-hmm. Ease Origins. Uh, mm-hmm. They're not too long. So so I guess just finding what 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 kind of mechanics click with you and um, and if you're looking for you know a more story driven adventure or are you just looking more for, for game gameplay thing? Because a lot of uh, games that come out now have RPG mechanics. You know. Yeah. Kind of like even like the the Souls games, even though it's kind of weird to call them uh, RPG, but they technically kind of are in a way. So, so I guess you've been playing playing uh, playing them for a while now. You just didn't realize it. Yeah, no, it's a great point because I feel like whenever someone asks me for an RPG recommendation, or even my wife, you know, she kind of just wanted something that after work she could unplug, mash the X or you know circle button or whatever the heck it is, and not really pay attention to the story. You know, maybe have Netflix up or something like that, but still have something that's stimulating and kind of engaging while she's sitting on the couch uh, watching a show. And, you know, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head with like the E series. That's always something that I kind of look to and say, this is a game that, you know, nine times out of 10, the main protagonist, Adol, has amnesia, doesn't really remember anything. You're going to go into a mine. You're going to go into a dungeon. You're going to whack up a bunch of enemies and you're going to have a kick-ass like electric guitar, crazy soundtrack to kind of accompany on you on that journey. So, there, there really are so many buckets of like subgenres within JRPGs, and I think that's why I've you know taken a liking to them so much because, and probably why you've been able to play them for so long because there's always a different type of JRPG depending on your mood. Persona being one that you probably have to be really prepared to really look through the tutorials, understand the combat system, its rich storytelling, things like that, character interactions. Or maybe you want something a little bit lighter on the mechanics, but still great story. Maybe you go to something like the Tales of series, you know, or if you just want something that's super mindless and you can kind of just mash the X button, but enjoy a great soundtrack, you know, look to something like Ease. Um, It it is such a a wide, expansive genre, um, which I think is why I've probably fallen in love with it it so much over the years. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I for me, it's hard because the time commitment, but I, I, the one that fascinates me are like the tactical RPGs, like the mm. JRPGs. Um, but yeah, I just need to find, I think the Tales of would be a really fun one. The new one. I mean, I, mean, I keep saying for, for Ryan, um, Danny to commit to playing something like Final Fantasy 15, because if you've listened to the past 10 to 15 episodes of the podcast, you know, Ryan's pretty Monster Hunter obsessed, and I'm not sure yeah. <laughs> if you have strong feelings towards Final Fantasy 15, positive or negative, but um, if you've played Monster Hunter, you could probably agree that mechanically that game plays pretty similar to something like Monster Hunter. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on Final Fantasy 15, Danny, if you don't mind. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's funny you brought up these two games in particular. I'm not the biggest Monster Hunter fan, but I'm one of those rare people. I love FF15. I played it day yes. one. Um, I recognize all its issues. It's one of those games where like it had so many problems. They probably should have delayed it a couple more years. But just like with you and FF13, I don't care. I, I had I had a blast. I love 
I love the road road trip aesthetics and um and even I think the game's probably much more playable now with the the Royal Edition. So mm-hmm. uh, it, it is a big game with big systems. So that might be overwhelming uh, for Ryan. It, it, you know, there's a lot of side stuff to do, but but I, I think he'll enjoy the the exploration part. Uh, you know, the, kind of the battle system as well. I I I think he'll he can get get pretty deep into it. So would fifteen versus seven remake be better, or should I do seven remake because I've played at least through that mm. part of the story in the original what do you think yeah that, that, that's a tough one if you're looking um if you're looking for a more like a streamline not streamline but like a more li- i don't want to use the word linear as well but but just just like a point a to point b kind of adventure you know sto- stories all from the beginning I, I i do prefer the cast of ff7 remake and mm-hmm. uh okay. it's just such a well done game rusty played it recently so I probably recommend that first if you're more because FF15 is a very open world kind of game with yeah. a lot of stuff to do and um, you know big map and side quests and stuff. So if you're, if you're in a mood for more open world, um, then then I recommend 15. But I think FF7 has you know their battle system with like an action and slightly turn based you know uh, hybrid. I, I think I think it's a unique one and and if you have I'm sure you have a PS5 even even much better now. Beautiful game. Yeah. You know, I would definitely agree because, I mean, 7 Remake, while Final Fantasy 15 is chapter-based, to your point, Danny, I mean, it's it's very open world and you could literally probably spend 10, 12 hours of that game before even moving on to the second or third chapter, you know? <laughs> That's a scary part. I don't know. I feel like you can play one open world game per year. Like, mm-hmm. we go, I mean, I could be very wrong. I but, like, that it's logic. the same way we go back to Skyrim, like, once a year and then we're, like, burnt out for a while. I don't know if I've hit my, like, recovery threshold for, like, open world, but... See, I I have lots of problems with Ryan, Danny, and (laughs) most of it, most of the time, is his logic when it comes to playing games, but uh, we're not going to get into that uh, at all. My last kind of question, or what I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, because I think we've kind of beaten the JRPG drum, definitely something we could return to on a future episode for sure, Um, but... I don't even know if you could remind me specifically. I, I have an idea in mind, but I want to know like when you entered the YouTube gaming community scene, when you started recording videos. I know you kind of had this resurgence in the past year or so with recording videos, but I felt like you had recorded videos years prior to that too. And you know, I'm not sure if you remember like Dustin Kreiss and Steven the Laggy Gamer and and Chance and that group of people, Doom Waves. But I felt like you were very connected with that group of people and that particular pocket of the gaming community am i, am I wrong or am i delusional in thinking that <laughs> no no absolutely correct um i started youtube about 2011 2012 uh not as like jrpg focused now it's just like a general gaming thing and i just you know i just felt like um i didn't have a lot of friends um that shared the same passion and hobby and i just wanted to share my my thoughts and opinions on games i like and see if i find like-minded people and yeah, I did run into all those people in the AGP community. Um, I don't, I don't talk to them. I chat with them from time to time, but not on a regular basis. I was in the group chat with you too, Rusty. Uh, yeah, probably around 2013, 2014 time period. So yeah, I'm familiar with all those guys. Uh, I, I know Steven just kind of made a comeback, but uh, I think a lot of those guys aren't as active anymore. And I do miss their podcast. I, I was a guest on it at one point, I believe, on one of the E3. So oh, you were definitely right. correct. I was, I was in that scene from about 2012 to. 2014 2015 then i took like kind of like a four-year break yeah well you definitely you know need to and i i did the same thing too just focusing on personal life and all that good stuff but um gosh yeah if anyone out there 
uh, has never heard of AGP, another gaming podcast, because back in the YouTube gaming community days, and especially in that, you know, 2008, 2012, 13 period, there were gaming podcasts coming out the butt with the number of people that were, you know, kind of starting to create those. And Dustin Christ, Steve and the Laggy Gamer, and uh, Chance Doom Waves on YouTube, they were like, you know what, let's just, you know, be very self-aware and just title the podcast another gaming podcast (laughs) and if you search for it on youtube i believe all of their videos are still up so you can go check out the episode that uh that danny was on i was actually on an episode way back then too i don't even remember what the heck we talked about but um yeah it, it was definitely it was a fun time i've talked about this so much on this podcast but um it did feel like while it was a pretty robust and, and big community, you always found a way to kind of nudge yourself into a, a subset or pocket of the community um, and just connect with a, a group of people. So uh, very cool. Very cool. I'm glad that uh, my memory was uh, a little or was I don't even know what I'm trying to say. I'm glad that I remembered that correctly just because I thought that you were kind of connected with that group of people. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, hopefully that provides the the listeners with some great context to our good friend Danny, a little background to his upbringing and how he got into video games. I'm sure we could talk all day about this. A lot of interesting points have been brought up, so really appreciate you, you sharing, Danny. But what do you say we get into the games that we have been playing recently? Let's do it. All right. So I think the the game that we've all been playing that we all kind of want to gush and talk about, and I really want to hear your impressions and, and I guess concluding thoughts, Danny. I know you you know posted a review up there on the old YouTube, so definitely go check that out if you uh, if maybe you haven't seen it yet. But I'll go ahead and kick things off over to you, Danny. If you want to just start the conversation, what do you think about Kana Bridge of Spirits? Maybe keeping it to a no spoiler discussion right now, but. You know, going into this game, I think it was pretty hotly anticipated by the th- all three of us, really. Uh, did it live up to your expectations? What were your overall thoughts? Uh, yeah, um, it's one of those games that have been uh, pushed and marketed by PlayStation a lot. You, you kind of forget that it's an indie game made by a very small and new studio. It's their first every game. And um, I think that's an important thing we have to bring up. And with that, I, I think they, 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 I wouldn't, well, not nailed it, but they, they nailed their debut. I, I think it's mm. probably one of the most impressive First game efforts I've ever seen. Uh, beautiful, uh, great, great uh, combat, be- lush environments, and on the PS5 great game ran great. And uh, yeah, I'm just in awe of the environments. And and I- I'm sure the game didn't have a big budget at all, but it it, it looks like it c- could have been a AAA game. And um, yeah, for the price for forty dollars, I mean. I- it's one I can recommend to anyone who owns a PlayStation. Um, I'm not sure if the PS4 version is. runs pretty well uh, compared to ps5 but if you have a ps5 definitely uh pick it up and um yeah i had a blast with it um not too long but i don't think the length was an issue i thought it was a perfect amount of length Mm -hmm. uh depending on what you do if you go for the trophies and platinum it can easily be a 15 plus hour game and uh for for the tools they've given us i think i think it's a great length and um yeah i'm i'm most surprised and we can get into this by the bosses um yeah it's much tougher than I thought, and yeah. <laughs> for a game that looks like a kitty, almost like a kitty title kind of platformer, it's definitely not that at all. I, I think I think you'd be surprised by some of the challenging enemies and bosses uh, you run into. But but overall, very very impressed, very solid. Love it, yeah, Ryan. I'm curious before I share even my thoughts. Um, I know you were not late to the party, but you were having some problems with your controller and yes. drifting issues and stuff like that. But 
late in this week, I think you ended up seeing credits roll. So what were your overall thoughts? Uh, yeah, I loved it. I mean, this went in as I went into this year with this being the most anticipated. It got pushed back a month where if it needs to gestate a little bit longer, so be it. Um, and yeah, I'd completely agree. You you start out the game with like the rot, the little cute oh puff balls and like buying them hats. And like, it, it's just a gorgeous game, especially for an indie first game uh, for that studio. And then, yeah, it, it, you go into the, your first battle and you're like, holy shit, <laughs> like I'm dying really quick. Um, I didn't expect it. I played on the, I guess the first difficulty. So there's the story mode. And then I think there's two others before you beat the game and unlock master mode. Mm -hmm. And I played that through basically two thirds of the game. And then, yeah, I, it's rough. It's hard. Um, but yeah, definitely worth the challenge. I, I didn't run into really any technical issues besides my controller, which was, I basically countermeasure was by another one, but yeah, I, I loved it. It, it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, the story didn't overstay its welcome. Um, 12 hours, I think was definitely good enough. And I, I love the conclusion. Yeah. Um, it's unfortunate that they patched, there was a glitch, which Rusty got in cause he beat it in like two days, um, where you could actually beat master mode. By glitching it out, and they patched it by the time I got there. Mm-hmm. So, don't tell anyone. I I, I kind of did that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, did like, you really? Uh, yeah. That's yeah, we get we get into more in the trophy discussion, but but I couldn't help myself. I was curious, like, oh, I wonder if this glitch still works. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I wasn't even thinking about it because there was one patch that went through the entire like two weeks it was out, and I was like. As I was finishing up the game, I'm like, crap, I probably should have downloaded that one. But mm-hmm. yeah, no, I Master Mode would be rough to play through. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely didn't want anything to do with the the Master Difficulty. I, as we'll probably get into it when we get into our trophy discussion, I'm not really a fan of difficulty-related trophies. Certainly in a game like this where uh, I think it's, it's best probably played on the difficulty above story just to kind of get a taste for that challenge and some of those... Um, tougher boss battles but ultimately it's it's just such a, a beautiful experience to you know the rots it, it really plays out like um you know earlier in the year when ratchet and clank rift apart came out and really with most of the ratchet and clank games i often compare them especially with the story and graphics to something like a pixar film yeah but i think similar to when i think about studio ghibli they just bring a different type of magic to their storytelling and in their movies I think Kana in a very similar way just brings a different type of of magic that I didn't really find in Rift Apart, Ratchet and Clank. Like it's a great game, uh, a, another you know excellent entry from Insomniac. But a comment that you made, Danny, about this Kana feels like a AAA developed game. I I feel I feel that exactly. Like I playing this if this was developed by you know, a pre Ghost of Tsushima sucker punch or like this seems like a natural follow up to something like Sly Cooper or, you know, Insomniac. This seems like if Spider-Man never happened, this would be a fun departure from Ratchet and Clank and Spyro and making something a little bit more fantasy like with Kana Bridge of Spirits. Right. So I definitely got those feelings of a triple A developed game. And one of my, I wouldn't even say biggest frustrations, but Danny, you hit the nail on the head that it's important to clarify how tiny of a team Ember Labs is. And even if it wasn't, it's still a graphically super impressive game. And just the the sense of scale and scope and the draw distances in these environments are so impressive. But 
I was listening to the Kind of Funny Games uh, team review this game on Tuesday. I pre-installed it, but obviously I was working. I didn't have a chance to play it until that evening. And I was listening to their review prior to them getting into any kind of spoiler territory. And they were just like, yeah, it's deceptively challenging. The rod are really cute. But honestly, just this... This kind of just feels like a PS2 remake of a game that I never played or, you know, when I was playing it, I was just getting uh, like THQ vibes of some license game that came out back in 2005 that uh, maybe I, I slept on or never played because uh, I wasn't playing Tack and the Power of Juju or whatever and I was a kid and they remastered or remade the game for current generation consoles, which... I get the criticism, but I also feel like does the game such a disservice to label it as just another THQ license remake for current generation consoles. I think the game is so much more special than that and deserves so much more uh, praise, given that this game was delayed as many times as it was. I'm a pretty big advocate for delays, especially if it means that uh, we're going to see the truer and better vision of the development team if they delay the game and uh, give it its due time. And this is a, such a shining example of why game delays are important for a team to not crunch, not force it out, not push it out because you have all your shareholders that want to make sure they get their money in or whatever the hell. But Kana was just, it's just such a great example of let's wait for the game to come out when it's ready. And then when they put it out, it's just so refreshing to see the majority of the game industry embraced this game with open arms. It's getting really great reviews uh, outside of kind of funny. That was a pretty common criticism of like, yeah, mechanically the jumping feels a little heavy, you know, when you're, you're grabbing onto ledges, which borrows a lot of influence from something like uncharted or tomb Raider or, often, horizon. or horizon, you know, oftentimes you don't jump on the ledge or you don't grab onto the ledge, those types of things. And, to be honest, I'd rarely experienced that piece of things, but I mean, ultimately, as you guys both, you know, stated so well, um, it's such a beautiful game, very, such a wholesome experience, mm-hmm. right? Like this game, I don't want to say it wouldn't work without the rot, but even if you didn't have the rot and it was just you and your staff and getting new unique abilities and, you know, some of the other weapons you get later in the game, I think it would still be a really beautiful and fun enjoyable video game but the rot just pushes it over the edge yeah i'd completely agree and you brought up riffs apart and that i played this right after platinuming riffs apart um so i think story-wise it was far more impactful for at least me and not that the characters in rift apart were like bad or anything i love that game looking at you rivet (laughs) yeah rivet was just stole the show um but like the three main kind of arcs that you go through, um, my f- my favorite being the first kind of me too third, um, and then probably the last third was my second favorite with the middle one not as like impactful but still great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the rot just kind of amplified those stories and then brought it all home at the end. Yeah, did you? Danny have a particular part? Like I'd agree with Ryan that um, I don't think we're spoiling by just mentioning the characters character's name but i would say that the taro arc that first kind of third of the game for me was the most kind of emotionally impactful aside from the very end of the game did you have a particular moment or arc that really stood out to you uh yeah i I agree i think the Taro one uh because of his brothers as well um Mm -hmm. i I think that was the most interesting one um how how they presented i really like and and that was was the first real skill test for me was that that 
know, first real boss fight. I don't know how many times I died to that one. Uh, so just learn, learning the mechanics of the game. But, but once I got through it, uh, yeah, I, I was really good. Um, one of the few negatives I have, I, I, I love how they did with all the you know side characters. Something I wish they did they expanded more upon was actually uh, Kina herself, which mm-hmm, yeah. she got her little cutscene there. But I, I feel like I don't, I didn't really get to know her and why. You know, she, she is where she is doing, doing the spirit guiding thing. So, I, so I think that's something they probably could have put a little more, uh, more shine on being the main character. So, I'm, I'm hoping we learn much more about her if they do make a sequel. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, one thing again, I, we're tiptoeing around spoilers, but I, I don't think we're spoiling anything with this. They were very intentional at multiple points in the game. She had almost like this blue scar on her hand. Yeah. And I feel like they never really went into the lore or backstory behind what that even was. Yeah, that might be just being a spirit guide. Maybe. Like, like similar like the Avatar. Those, granted, those blue arrows are tattoos, but like something like that. Like mm. that's where the energy flows through you. But Maybe. that's all just assumption. Yeah. No, I'm with you, Danny, though. I, I do feel like Kana could have used a little bit more. I wouldn't even say depth, but they just going into her story, her purpose a little bit more would have been really neat. And maybe that was purposeful in saying like, hey, we wanted to build up kind of the supporting cast around her uh, and certainly uh, a, a big emphasis on the little rot friends that you have. And and maybe we'll see a sequel, whether it's like an origin story or, or a sequel to the events of the first game. I think it's certainly deserving of a sequel. Yeah, I'll give my opinion on that in spoiler section. Okay. Well, anything else uh, that we want to talk about just high level before we get into spoilers? And um, I'll definitely post, you know, in the the show notes that we're going into some spoiler Kana territory. So if you don't want to hear anything story related, spoiler wise, uh, you can definitely fast forward. But uh, Danny, anything else before we get into maybe just some a quick some quick spoiler points? No, just some couple of gameplay notes. Um, I'll, I'll, and you guys can correct me, Rusty. I know you platinum games, so maybe you found out more. Uh, those crystals you find, um, the main uh, one of the main currencies of the game. Besides mm. buying hats, do they have any other use? That's kind of like you know, feel like it's kind of. I, I know those hats are cute to equip them, but I I felt like there could have been more more ways to use the currency, maybe for upgrades and and stuff that you can actually use use you know for for gameplay. So I think that's something maybe they can uh, further improve upon in in a possible sequel. So uh, and like Ratchet and Clank, you know, you find those bolts, you actually earn benefits from them by buying weapons and stuff like that. So I, I kind of wish that crystal system did a little bit more than just buying hats. Yeah, no, I'm with you because I felt like they were in such great supply throughout the game. Like you were always earning, yeah. you know, those crystals. And at a certain point I had like over 10,000 crystals or whatever. And there's some hats that are kind of more story focused that you buy and there are a thousand crystals or 500 crystals But by the end of the game, I had unlocked all the rot, which there's a hundred of them, and I've purchased all of the hats, and I still had like 6,000 crystals left over or something like that. Yeah, I'm definitely not as completionist as you. I think I had like 60 rot or 63 rot by the end, and like I still had maybe 6,000 crystals and haven't collected all the hats. Mm. Um, I went in expecting you'd be able to change Kana's outfits, Um and yeah. seeing that you'd be able to just change the rot, I, I just kind of like, oh, this is perfect. Like the main currency is all around making your rots cuter. I didn't have a problem with it, but like usual expectation is usually you can change your main character's outfit. But yeah, so definitely something in a sequel. I think you're right, Danny. It would be nice that, you know, not only do you have like melee and weapon upgrades, um, those are all those were like what's skill based how did those work i forget what the what like, like the upgrades 
for the bow, it was all basically arrow based. So like you add one more to your quiver. No, so, I know that. But like, how did you what did, what currency did you get to unlock those? So there was a separate XP currency. That's right. So like you picked out fruit for the things and they gave you a few XP oh, or you killed a boss. That's right. Or you killed a mini boss. That's right. And then that's how you did it. Um, but yeah, the just the crystals were basically just used for hats. No, yeah, it would have been nice if you would have had the opportunity to to use some of those um, those crystals for other things for sure. Uh, that's a great point, Danny. Any anything else? Uh, criticism, critique, or uh, positive that you wanted to highlight? Well, I think we can jump right into spoiler talk. Uh, very few, very few negatives. And whatever there is, it's not 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 big enough to impact my enjoyment. Good deal. Uh, I think I just have one more for combat wise. I love the difficulty. It, it's jarring with the cuteness, the beauty in the environment. And it's probably not going to be for everyone. That might be a downside mm-hmm. going into Kana souls, which I've seen some meme pictures of. Um, the, the complaint about dark souls combat of like characters in midair is that they can turn on a pivot when they're jumping at you. Mm-hmm. And there was very much, or sometimes in some of those boss battles where the enemy would basically be coming across the screen at you and speed up as it was coming towards you. So that timing was really kind of off-putting. Mm-hmm. You'd expect it to be the, like the same speed instead of like going light speed halfway through its jump. Yeah. Um, but yeah, nothing that would ruin the environment or the experience. It just, it's a, a learning curve for sure. Yeah. I don't think the challenge was ever like game breaking or I never felt like it was unfair um, if it was unfair, it was just because I was impatient and just didn't want to be, <laughs> didn't want to learn the parry system yeah. or I just wanted to hack and slash and not worry about, I actually need to worry about the timing of this person's attack. I need to be patient to learn their, uh, their movements and everything like that, uh, to avoid it. So, um, but it was really satisfying when you got like in the groove with Kana, they'd be coming at you, you dodge roll and you'd whip out your bow and just apply rot and just start powering through these enemies. It, it was very satisfying. Yeah. Well, one of the things I love too, and I know we keep teasing spoilers and we're not getting into it. We will eventually, but um, I didn't notice this until I posted a tweet that kind of summarized my overall thoughts after I finished the game for our friends over there on the Polykill podcast. And one of the pictures I took, I jumped in the air and I was locking a bow with Kana, when you do that, time kind of slows down, similar to like a Breath of the Wild type mechanic. And I didn't notice this until I posted the tweet, but when I opened up the screenshot and zoomed in, the little rot that was on my shoulder was actually mimicking that same movement and locking a bow that the rot didn't even have. And so I think what was really neat that if you don't have an eye for it, you're not going to notice is how dynamic the rot are. So when you're walking through the village and you, maybe you walk past a wagon, you know, some of the rot will kind of appear there and just make funny little animations as if they're sunbathing or they're just waving at the screen or winking at you. Or if you're in the water, some of them will freestyle swim. Some of them will back paddle. Some of them will kind of just like, you know, sit there and tread water. I just thought it was such a unique little touch from the development team that, they could have had them as like little rag dolls that just kind of followed you around wherever you went. But then depending on the environment that you were in, how they naturally adapted to that, I thought was just so, so cool and such a neat little touch from like a development team as small as that. And also a team that really doesn't have much experience outside of animation. You know, game dev is a completely new thing for them. So I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah, I completely agree. I I think the rot helped this, like, tie this entire game together. 
Oh yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, let's let's get into spoilers. Let's get into the story. Uh, let's get into the meat of it. Um, Danny, any any overall thoughts? I know you talked a little bit about it was a little Kana story light, but any overall thoughts on the story as we tiptoe into spoiler territory here? Um, yeah, so I already brought up my gripe with that, but um, not much. I, I mean, um, I, I did like that they, they put so much focus on uh, the, the major bosses you fight and, and how they infect the environment. I, I, did, I did really like the message at the end. And uh, e- even like at the, the fake out boss fight, uh, I, I kind of like what they did there as well. And uh, you losing losing the rot, you know, towards the end. I I, I love that whole sequence. And and uh, yeah, I, I think it's just something um, they you know they can do they can do more in in, in the next game and uh, just give Keen a little, little more a little more shine, a little more backstory. And um, yeah, I, 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 Ryan was totally right. The, the rot ties everything together. And um, when 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 they don't you know really speak at all, but but can convey so much emotion and mm-hmm. and just personality, I, I I think it's just a perfect fit for for this type of game and aesthetic. Totally. I, I don't know if you found yourself smiling every time you discovered a rot and it would just pop up from that little like ball of light yeah, and yeah. then just like smile or make a thing. And I was just like, I'm I'm enjoying this. I'm like having a good time. When I felt like it never it never got old for me. Yeah, I, yeah. And I locked all 100 of them. Um, I don't know what I would compare it to, but even almost, you know, if you're going through Zelda dungeons and the animation where Link kicks a box or something like that and it opens up something or an ocarina time when it would play that music um and kind of zoom into him you you get like the compass or whatever in the dungeon that you know after four or five dungeons kind of gets old right but i felt like it never got old for me when you know you kick a rock or you uh, lift up some object and a little rot pops up and just smiles at you and joins your little crew and I, i think that's amplified by adding hats to them and then also having them come behind you and follow you around the entire game like it's similar to we like to be able to change our characters' outfits and things in RPGs, but being able to see those rot like slowly grow your little posse of uh, your harem of rot is just awesome. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, no, Danny, you kind of hit on it. I don't know if we need to break down the whole story. My my biggest thing that I thought was most emotional. I really have two moments. Is um, certainly when Taro was kind of reunited with his brothers and, uh, the very studio Ghibli like scene that kind of played out where, you know, he felt obligated to kind of protect them. And, uh, when he kind of woke up after his spirit was like kicked out of him or whatever, and then he found his brothers. Um, what I love is, is just the reuniting moment for each of those spirits. Yeah. You know, they felt so hopeless and lost without, their significant other, their brother, their loved one, whoever it might have been. But that moment where Kana was just like, this is my purpose is to kind of, you know, rejoin and reunite those lost spirits. Yeah. And that moment of embrace between the the, the, the three brothers particularly was like, I kind of teared up a little bit, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think that's, I mean, Danny, to your point, is if they explored Kana, like the final fourth. And so you had three kind of main stories that you went through if the fourth was her reunited reuniting and sending on her dad's spirit that would have further kind of tied everything together with a nice bow they kind of hinted on that a little bit yeah yeah Yeah. because you don't know much about her and like you see her as a child kind of wandering through that spirit world kind Mm -hmm. of like dad where are you and you assume he's a spirit and it didn't seem like he had turmoil because she didn't see him but like if they would have wrapped that in a like in a fourth, I could have seen that not hindering the story too much or feeling like it overstayed its welcome. But overall, I love how it ended. 
um, with your main rot, like going through master mode, seeing that first rot that you discovered is actually that dragon. And he's always on your shoulder throughout the entire thing with the little, like that green hair and the horns. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, it took me going into master mode to actually realize like some of the starting stuff and how well it's tied into like the ending. Like, yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize the two little brothers were spirits mm-hmm. and yeah. I was like, Oh shit. Cause I thought they were real kids. And then they, everyone turns out to be spirits because it, Apparently, everyone in the village is dead. Yeah, and that's that was kind of one of my favorite things was the spirit mail mechanic and, you know, returning it and kind of um, disinfecting the environment uh, by returning the mail and then beating the enemies and then it playing that subtle little cutscene of, you know, these blue hologram-like spirits kind of just being returned to their natural habitat, if you will, their homes. And once you kind of clear the village of all of the, the, uh, the poison or, you know, the... Um, whatever word you want to use there. Uh, and you just have an entire village full of the spirits. That was really cool. Um, just that everyone was kind of put back in their place again. Yeah. See, there was the like, a spirit that was dangling its feet over the side, just kind of looking out. And I think one of my rot ended up like sitting near it. I was just like, this is cool. Yeah. It, it's a, it, the, the world feels alive for as much death as like is in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Alrighty, well, that's really all I had to say about Kana. Uh, Danny, anything else from your perspective you wanted to share, spoiler or otherwise? Um, nope, um, no, no other spoilers. I, I guess I'm just more impressed with this game on a more like technical level. So like like all the bosses, like I said, and and uh, some of the mechanics. And I don't know how you guys feel about like some of the bosses towards the end. Like one that really stuck out to me was like in this forest, the the flying one, where uh, you, like you know you, you mostly have to shoot bows at it. I, I think that one really stood out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, not not one of the harder ones, but it just like mechanically is so much different, and uh, it definitely kept me on my toes. And and uh, yeah, just just the flurry of bosses towards the end, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, those last three, like the the contrast between their glowing weapons, like you have the glowing spear, the glowing bow, and the glowing swords or dual swords. I think he had like in the dark forest where you're starting to like blast through teleportation or whatever that was described as they were beautiful fights. Like I, I found myself like screenshot screenshotting the crap out of those. Mm -hmm. Um, just like Kana looking over like this enemy, but yeah, they were a lot of fun. I ended up for the final fight going through all of it, beating the dragon. And then I was like, it, I was, I didn't see, the trigger to throw my rot onto it to kind of heal it. So I was like, where do I go? Am I supposed to go up to that shrine in the background? So I ran out of the circle and died. And I was like, I just and it oh. started over. I was like, fuck, that's like a 20 minute fight. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> so I was like, Oh, I mean, it's still good. Like I knew what I was doing eventually. Cause I, but yeah, I, uh, I did that before work one day and I was like, crap. I guess I'm beating it this afternoon and not this morning. <laughs> well, I don't know how, how often this happened for you guys, but at least in that final fight when you kind of almost go into that weird spirit realm and you have to use the almost grappling mechanic with your arrow mm-hmm. and you have to grapple twice where you're not really on a platform, you're hovering and then you have to quickly turn to your left and hover onto that or uh, shoot yeah. onto that platform. So often when that happened in the game, and they kind of force you to do that. I don't know if it's because I was pressing the wrong trigger buttons, but I was trying to lock a bow. Instead, I do like my downward B attack, basically. (laughs) And I I died on that section at least three times, which was frustrating. I know another common criticism I found or I read about on this game was 
you know, you'd be fighting a, a wave of enemies or a multiple waves of enemies. And if you die, it's not like you go back to the third or second wave. You start from the beginning again. And I feel like that game design was pretty intentional by the developers. I think they did want this uh, distinct contrast between cutesy characters and beautiful environments mm-hmm. with the more challenging gameplay to kind of, um, I don't know if it was just to keep the players on their toes or what, but I felt like that uh, respawn or checkpoint system was pretty intentional. Yeah. I, I didn't really have an issue going into some of those boss battles where like it would be a few different enemies. Like the, I can think the first kind of like soldier enemy was maybe like some of those monkey dudes on the trees throwing stuff at you and you kill like four of them and then the boss spawns. I have mm-hmm. no issue with that. I did die that same way in the final boss where I was like, I ended up just holding the trigger to like knock my bow. But yeah, I, I definitely uh, slammed my sword into oblivion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think you it's overall a fantastic game for the 15 people that worked on it. And I mean, if this is what they're coming out of the gate with, there's definitely high hopes for being a great studio moving forward. Yeah. No doubt about it. Uh, and, you know, if this game comes to consoles outside of PlayStation and you're still listening, I think this is a must play, uh, whether it's on Xbox. I don't know um, how it would hold up on the the base Switch. I feel like this is almost like a Switch Pro type of game. But I mean, Breath of the Wild ran fine on the, the, the Switch. So I, graphically, I, I think that's going to be rough, man. <laughs> it would be, yeah, even like base PS4, base Xbox, this would probably chug. Yeah. Like if you if you want frame rate and graphics and to play the game at all. Yeah. Switch I, I would love a powerhouse switch, but it's Nintendo. We're not gonna yeah. go there. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, especially with the cartridges. It's yeah. not gonna work. Cool. All right. Well any any closing parting thoughts about Kana before uh we kinda close it out and, and transition to maybe our next segment of the show? Either from you, Danny or Ryan. Uh, nope, just that uh, it's available now, and if you guys are uh, you know physical, more physical collectors, they just announced the physical edition uh, in November. I got my copy pre-ordered. I think it's going to be on all major retailers like Best Buy, Amazon. So if you've been waiting, uh, there you go. Definitely. Yes. And it's probably my front runner for game of the year. It was my most anticipated. It definitely uh, exceeded my expectations, I would say, and delivered on just about every note I could have wanted to. But before we get into the trophy discussion, I did want to see if, Danny, did you have any other games that you've been playing recently you wanted to uh, shout out and talk about? Yeah, sure thing. I'm playing two games currently. Uh, first off, uh, Lodge Judgment, the follow-up to the 2019 game Judgment. Uh, th- these are from the guys at the RGG Studios, the Yakuza guys. Uh, mm. This one is, you know, a spinoff of that. Um, now that the Yakuza series with Like a Dragon is has become a more turn-based kind of game, if you're looking for more, you know, like the older Yakuza games, the more um, bra- brawler RPG type, uh, highly recommend these games. Uh, maybe play the first Judgment first that came out. It's uh, recently, uh, you know, been put on PS5, remastered. Uh, great games. Uh, tons, tons of content in here. I'm telling you, like, like especially with the second one, I'm rollerblading. There's, you can spend so many hours besides the main story just doing stupid stuff, but so much fun. Um, so highly recommend these games. So check out, you know, any of the Yakuza games and and the First Judgment. So, uh, yeah, that's my quick ele- elevator pitch. And uh, the next one I'm playing is for October. That is uh, the 2012 Lollipop Chainsaw uh, from our good buddy Suda51 and yes. um, an interesting collaborator, James Gunn from uh, 
Guardians of the Galaxy fame. And uh, now that I'm more familiar with his, his work and playing this game again compared to in 2012, I, I definitely see his style in writing. Like he pretty much wrote every dialogue in the game, and uh, he even got a lot of the, his uh, frequent uh, contributors, like uh, Michael Rooker, and uh, I believe his brother Sean Gunn is in the game too, doing voice acting. So this game just super silly, so much style, and um, unapologetically crude and, and rude and in your face, but so much colorful, so much fun. It's vulgar. It's probably wouldn't. <laughs> do well today i guess <laughs> maybe you know not as pc but uh for for its time and i don't know i, I still appreciate it and uh, a great game to play for for the month of october very cool yeah lollipop chainsaw is one that during the kind of ps apocalypse when ps3 prices were going through the roof i ended up snagging it probably pl- paying a little bit too much for it but uh nothing too crazy and it's one that i totally missed out on during the 360 um ps3 days but i remember that being talked about quite a bit in the youtube gaming community so i'm looking forward to getting around to playing that one at some point i will actually be posting a poll either later today or sunday about uh the first spooky season game i'd like to play i'm not sure what i'm gonna kind of sink my teeth into uh, i have a couple queued up so maybe i can get your uh, priority recommendation here danny um kind of the the top three that i was thinking about and then there's some other ones i have uh kind of installed on the ps uh through psn but the three that i have physically that i was thinking about are a plague tale innocence on ps5 which i think you played earlier this year if i'm not mistaken yeah so on ps plus for free yeah, yeah. So I, I have that uh, ready to go. I was also, I've never played a Silent Hill game outside of uh, way back in the day, my buddy and I had one of those jam pack PS2 demo discs. And I think it was either Silent Hill 2 or 3, wherever there's like a carnival and there's some weirdo pink bunny with its head cut off or whatever. I don't know. If there's a Silent Hill game with a carnival, that's the demo I played, and it scared the heck out of me as a kid. So uh, I'd love to revisit that in either Silent Hill 2 or 3 with the HD collection that I have on PS3. And the other one I was thinking about was Evil Within 2. Uh, I got about halfway through the first game. I enjoyed it. Shinji Mikami, of course, of Resident Evil 4 fame. Uh, what a mastermind of horror, and I've heard that Evil Within 2 uh, I think is supposed to be better than the first, so we'll see. But out of those three... I guess four, if you consider the the Silent Hill collection. Any any recommendation you you have for me, Danny? Um, all solid picks there. Uh, I think you'll find something to like in all of them, but I got to go with the Silent Hill games, uh, especially. Um, I prefer three, but I think two has such an amazing story and payoff. I th- I think you'll find a lot to connect with that one. Um, the gameplay might be a little bit rough, but that's you know par with the course with these PS2 era uh, horror games. But I think there's nothing more spooky and uh fits the month of october more perfect than the silent hill games and silent hill 2 one of the best like soundtracks ever with akira Yamoka. I, I think you'll really appreciate that as well so so if you can put your mindset of a game that came out in the early 2000s and a little bit wonky combat uh but but i think i think um the atmosphere of that game is, is unrivaled till today and uh one, one of the best probably gaming stories i've ever experienced so that's my pick for you Okay, well, I'd love to hear it, and if I'm going to be honest, if I'm going to put Silent Hill in a poll against literally any other horror game, it's it's probably going to end up winning. So, uh, And Silent Hill 2 is kind of what I was leaning towards anyways. Um, I wouldn't even want to play a game like that on stream just because I feel like... I, I don't know. I feel like that's just something that's even better experienced when, you know, you have the headphones on and no one else is around. So um, maybe I'll, uh, I'll get nice and cozy tomorrow night or maybe even this evening and play 
a little Silent Hill 2. We shall see. But without further ado, my friends, uh, are we ready to go into the trophy discussion? What do you say? I'm game. I'm ready. You ready, Dan? Get to it. All right. Absolutely. Let's get into some trophy discussion. my friends we are back we are ready to talk about playstation trophies now everyone that's been listening to otaku brothers uh more recently i would say knows that i uh have been on a crazy trophy kick probably the past year or two Uh, i've been trying to get ryan into the platinum you know challenge type of stuff but in a couple games you have you know, we're going to get into all of it. But what I wanted to do is kind of, you know, provide some context for when trophies even started, uh, when could you start earning them, how they've evolved over the years, things like that. Kind of the trivia that I get into here is really uh, more focused on their humble beginnings. And then uh, we'll get into, you know, what they mean to us, our stats, uh, our favorite platinums that we've ever received, uh, Danny's retirement from trophy collecting. It's going to be a packed <laughs> Crazy fun agenda. I can't wait to get into it, but why don't you cozy on up on the couch? Maybe you're playing a good video game. Like I always say, maybe you're on a commute to work. I don't know where this episode finds you. I hope it finds you well. And let me tell you a little bit about the history as it relates to PlayStation trophies. So some of you may be aware that this was Sony or PlayStation 3's response to Xbox Live's achievements, which by June 2008 had been in place since the Xbox 360's launch almost almost three years prior. So 
some people that might not remember, trophies were a little late to come into the game. It was a while before PlayStation actually responded to Xbox achievement system. But here we go. We keep going. The trophy system was officially launched with PlayStation 3 system software update 2.4 on July 2nd, 2008. But it was surprisingly withdrawn later that same day due to a small number of users becoming unable to restart their consoles after the performance update. The, ad- the issue was addressed shortly thereafter, um, so no big issues there. And this is something that I actually had never known about. And it's interesting if you go to Google and type in images, you'll you'll see this. But originally, the Platinum Trophy was shown as a pink crown. The design was seen in version 2.4, but ultimately went unused due to being replaced with the current Platinum Trophy in version 2.4 before any game with the Platinum was released. And so when we're talking about this, we're also talking about prior to the more recent PlayStation 5 update where there was a complete trophy trophy overhaul, which we'll get into a little bit later here in this little fun fact section. But for those that might not be aware, Super Stardust HD was the first game to feature trophies after being patched to include 9 bronze, 6 silver, and 2 gold, worth a total of 495 points, including five five trophies tied to the DLC. The first game to release with trophies at launch was Pixel Junk Eden, while Uncharted Drake's Fortune became the first to feature a platinum, after being patched to include a full list of 48 trophies at the time. And Drake's Fortune's kind of brutal getting to, uh, you know, those uh, difficulty trophies. You got to play the game on crushing, which is... Uh, No easy task, let me tell you. I've tried it, and I did not follow through with it. But moving right along, although originally an optional feature, Sony later announced it would become mandatory to include trophies in games submitted for certification after January 1st, 2009. However, PS1 Classics and later the PS2 Classics released on PS3 were excluded from this requirement. PlayStation Minis and games released through the PlayStation Mobile Framework were also exempt, as were demos, trials, and betas. Now, as we get into, as I kind of hinted at earlier, as you may or may not know, with the release of PlayStation 5, the trophy system received its first major overhaul since launch. On October 7th, 2020, the leveling system was expanded and recalculated in order to be more rewarding. The maximum level was increased from 100 to 999 with progress through the earlier levels now much faster than ever before platinum trophies also became more valuable counting significantly more towards level progression than the other upgrades the level the levels of existing psn users were automatically remapped to the new system so that's all i have for my little brief history kind of intro to our trophy discussion but what I really want to know, Danny, is when did you start getting into trophy collecting? When did it become more than just, you know, happenstance, you beat a game and they unlocked? When did you start intentionally going after them? Walk me through your PlayStation trophy collecting journey. Yeah, I can go into this a number of ways. So um, if we're going by the very first trophy I earned, that was in uh, 2010. For Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. And fittingly enough, the trophy is called First Day of School. And this <laughs> was for uh, completing, I think, the first two levels in this game on veteran difficulty. Uh, 
I was not going for any trophies. I, I didn't even know it was a thing. I was just playing the game normally. I was, you know, really into Call of Duty at the time. And that was my first. Uh, my very first Platinum did not come till about a year later for, ga- for a game called Heavy Rain, uh, mm. a game I thoroughly enjoyed. And that one came naturally because I just wanted to see all the endings because that game was so ridiculous. Um, so I just, I was so close. I was like, oh, this 100% thing, I might as well just go for it since I'm going for all the endings. But to answer your question, Rusty, I did not uh, really attempt Platinum. I've, I've gotten a couple, uh, like everyone. I've got, uh, I think, the first Telltale um, Walking Dead game. That one, you know, you get just from beating the game. And I've got a couple here and there uh, for games I really like uh, with Persona 4 Golden and I think a couple others. But the one that really kickstarted everything was in 2016, um, a year after Bloodborne came out. Um, I was playing that game on and off. Uh, I talked with Ryan off air about Bloodborne and it's one of my you know, top five favorite games of all time. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, me and my good buddy, friend of the show and part of the Discord, uh, Ultimate Floyd. Oh yeah, we 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 yeah we we we're at about the same place. We're missing the same trophy. We we swore like, all right, here and now, let's go for it. We got these Chalice Dungeons to beat, so we were we were staying up till two three you know clock in the morning, grinding away at these Chalice dun- Chalice Dungeons and fighting these uh, darn stupid bosses. And uh, eventually, we got there. And uh, yeah, so uh, after that. Um, all, all the games uh, I've been looking forward to playing in 2016, uh, I kind of looked at the trophy list and um, everything snowballed from there for the next several years. Uh, I kind of pick out the games in advance. I don't go for every Platinum or game I play. Mostly uh, I stick to the games I really enjoy or love. And some more than others, I don't have to go um, too out of my way um, to, to, to complete the list. But uh, yeah, I set the, a goal of one day reaching 100 Platinums, which I, I didn't know at the time how long that would take or how many years, but... I've got there recently, uh, earlier this year with Near Replicant as my number 100. And uh, I always said to myself, if I ever got here, that's maybe I'll step away and uh, maybe not pursue them as much and as as heavily as before. 100 Platinums, holy shit. Very cool. <laughs> I guess, and then I'll get into, Ryan and I, we can talk about kind of what they mean to us when we got into collecting them and stuff. But um I'm just curious, like when you're playing stuff like The Witcher Three, and you look at the trophies, like at what point, like what was your threshold or tolerance level of like, yeah, there's just no way I'm playing through The Witcher Three in the hardest difficulty to get a platinum trophy. Like, you got to be a crazy man to do that. Yeah, Witcher Three uh, is probably one of more one of my prouder ones. Um, I, I beat it in 2017, and I never had any intention of, of going for it, and I, I never never thought I could. Um, it didn't happen until, um, I'm sorry, 2015 when it came out. So 2017, uh, funny enough, I went back to Thailand on like a two-month vacation, just like a homecoming. I, I haven't gone back there in uh, almost a decade. And uh, I had all this time, and I was like, you know what? There's no better time. I want to replay. The Complete Edition came out with the DLC. I wanted to play the DLC. And, yeah, I wanted to, you know, there's no 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 better time. And, um, yeah, the hardest difficulty was rough, but... Uh, it's actually one of the platinums that made me love the game even more. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, there were a lot of tedium, a lot of rough parts, and um, and the biggest sin for any trophy list to have missable trophies in an open world game. That's a big no-no. I actually hated it for that. But other than that, uh, I saw so many new parts of The Witcher 3, side quests I've never done, learning the, the depths of the combat system, and... Um, yeah, I guess that's the the good part about trophy hunting. Sometimes you you don't get to appreciate a game. You you know you you play it, you're happy, you kind of move on to the next thing. But the game has so much more to offer, 
And when a game has a, a good trophy list or um, optional content, sometimes you get to see a different side of the game and, and enjoy it fully and completely. And that's what I did with The, the Witcher 3, and uh, I'm glad I did. I love that. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I love most about and why I go for Platinum Trophies. Um, you know, with, with 3D platformers, it's more just kind of getting on that idea of you experience the game to its fullest by collecting all of the things, whether it's a star or a jiggy in Banjo-Kazooie. It kind of forces you to, to kind of play into that completionist mentality, but more story-focused adventures like The Witcher 3 or even more recently, I completed Dishonored Death of the Outsider, and it's like... You know, I could speed run that game and beat it in like 30 minutes, or if I play casually, I can beat it in four to six hours. But, you know, there are these optional missions called contracts that really kind of get a little bit deeper into the mechanics of the game, playing more into these side objectives where you have to be a little bit more stealthy or go in a little bit more chaotically into these environments. And yeah, you get two to three to four more hours of rich gameplay that, you know, if you're just focused on the main story, you're, you're never going to see that. And I think that's when trophies are at their best, when, you know, the developers really encourage you to kind of just dig a little bit deeper. You know, it's like, hey, really glad you completed our game. We'll throw a gold trophy at you. But if you if you want to, you know, experience all this game has to offer, you know, dig a little bit deeper into all of those DLC contents for The Witcher 3 or Final Fantasy 15, and uh, we'll reward you for your efforts. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely what I love probably most about uh, collecting trophies and just kind of the, the dopamine release of, of getting a, a platinum trophy. There is kind of almost this uh, component of like sending some thing off in your brain when you unlock some of these trophies, but just kind of getting into like my humble beginnings and collecting them. It really was not too, too long ago when I did, you know, I, I got a PS3 actually gifted to me by someone um, in the YouTube gaming community many, many moons ago. This is like back in 2012 time frame or something like that. Someone literally shipped me a PS3 with kind of like the Uncharted 1 and 2 and some of the, the must-have uh, PlayStation 3 games at the time. But I was a huge Xbox achievement person. Like, because I remember distinctly going to GameStop, saving up enough money when Halo 3 came out, buying a 360, getting Rainbow Six Vegas 2 and a couple other games. And, you know, I was totally on the train of getting games like Peter Jackson's King Kong, one, because it was a legitimately fun game, but also because it was an easy 1000 gamer score game. So when I made the transition to getting the PS3 gifted to me and I started playing some games on that system and trophies had been um, kind of onboarded to uh, the PlayStation 3 console, I just didn't really get it. Like I was like, well, this bronze, silver, gold thing does nothing for me. And that lasted until I got the PS4. I I did get two platinum trophies as we'll get into here shortly um, on the PS3, but it was never like, it never s sparked any kind of um, thing for me where I'm like, oh, I'm totally going all in on trophies. So when I got the PS4 and Ryan was there when I, I purchased the PS4. I think it, I convinced you one night. It was shortly after Lauren and I got married and uh, <laughs> we were kind of just chilling in the apartment. If I remember correctly, yeah. uh, Lauren like, had a glass of wine or something and, and you kind of just like, well, maybe, maybe you guys ought to just, you know, bounce over to GameStop and, and grab a PS4 <laughs> yeah. tonight. And Lauren yeah. was just like, why not? And I was like, what shit you know we need to jump on this <laughs> all right everyone get in the car we're going yeah. to 
or going to GameStop and getting a PS4. And, you know, I think I got a couple games at the time. I got Shadow of Mordor, Dishonored, uh, Tomb Raider, the kind of 2013 uh, edition remaster for PS4, a couple other games as well. But it was a many months after that, I remember going into a GameStop and uh, I was just browsing and there was a really cool GameStop associate uh, that was there that day. And she kind of approached me as, as many GameStop associates do and says, you know, what kind of games are you into? Like, what are you looking for? And instead of just rattling off every game under the sun that's coming out for pre-order uh, in the next three to six months, she genuinely was curious what I was interested in. And I'm like, well, you know, growing up, I was really into uh, your 3D platformer collectathons, your DK64s, your Banjo-Kazooie, Super Mario 64. Uh, and then more recently in the past couple of years, I've been really getting into uh, JRPGs. And she said, okay, well, let me pull two games off the shelf as recommendations. If you don't want to get them, no big deal. But um, Nino Kuni 2 recently came out, and um, it's a little bit different than the first game. I'm not sure if you played the first. And I'm like, no, nah, I, I never played Wrath of the White Witch. But she's like, you know, the second game, Revenant Kingdom, is a little interesting. It in- introduces some new mechanics and has more of an action-based battle system. I'm like, oh, okay, that sounds pretty neat. And at that time, it had already been discounted. It was on sale. So I'm like, okay, I'll get that. And then she pulls this other game off the shelf. And she's like, yeah, I'm not, if you're into Banjo-Kazooie, um, some ex-Rare developers formed a studio called Playtonic Games, and they had a Kickstarter a couple <laughs> years ago, and they made this game called Ukulele. And I was like, oh my god, yeah, I remember seeing that advertised when I was in college, but I never I never followed the game's release, I never got it, because I didn't have a, a console at the time in college where I could play it. Um, and I was like, alright, let's, let's check out this. So, this led down the terrible, but also great rabbit hole of trophy collecting, because... As many people know, I fell in love with ukulele and I platinumed the game and that really opened up the floodgates to my uh, my platinum trophy collecting habits. And I'm going to be perfectly honest, you know, kudos to you, Danny, because I know in the video that you recorded for YouTube about what trophies meant to you and why you collected them, you were pretty adamant about not playing some of the jank ass stuff that I've gotten over the years. Like, you know, I was just I was so obsessed with it, with trophies. I'm like, let's just go to Google and find easy platinums. So you bet your bottom dollar I downloaded My Name is Mayo, Little Adventure on the Prairie, Foxyland, and a bunch of other stupid jank-ass stuff. And uh, I got a bunch of platinums. And I would say more recently, I've kind of slowed down with some of that stuff. And I've, I've been more diligent in trying to get platinums in a lot of PlayStation exclusives like Ghost of Tsushima and Spider-Man and stuff like that. But... Um, but yeah, I, I think it's it's definitely a balance that needs to be struck. And I'm curious to get a little bit deeper into your um, kind of retirement from trophies, Danny. But like, you know, it can be bad when my desire to follow a guide with trophy collecting at the very onset of a new game kind of surpasses my desire to just play and enjoy the game. You know what I'm saying? Um, the trophy collecting habit kind of supersedes my my love of just the game itself, uh, which I've definitely gotten into that over the years. So I've, I try to check myself when I feel like I'm, I'm kind of creeping into that because with something like Cana Bridge of Spirits, I'd never want my sole focus to get trophies and not just play the heck out of a really, really good video game. So uh, before we get into kind of your retirement, Danny, Ryan, I'm curious for you, what do they mean to you? Have you ever really had the desire or itch to go deep on platinum collecting or what have trophies looked like to you over the years? I mean, for the last couple of years, it's been really just known as your first love followed by potentially Lauren. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've never been a trophy hunter. I, I mean, I was a big Xbox 360 person. 
I was into achievements. I never really focused on them. Like, for the Halo games, going through Legendary was a challenge. So, like, shooting for that achievement, but it was never, let's max out this game. Because a lot of those Xbox games had online requirements to get, like, completed, essentially, Platinums. Or all the points. Is it all the points in Xbox? So we'll get into that. But yeah, Xbox doesn't have like, a, oh, you collected all the achievements. Now you get like a super duper like achievement. A star or something. But yeah. Yeah, I was never really into it. I think my first platinum didn't happen until Horizon with you. I mean, after you started getting into these platinuming games. I just, I kind of go through the games, enjoy. And if I get trophies, I get trophies. Um, I never really, I mean, I've done some of the Foxyland stuff cause you're like, yeah, you should do this like fucking drug dealer in the corner, like <laughs> handed out <laughs> platinums for like ounces. I don't know. It, it's, I, I don't know if I could ever, cause it takes a, for some of the, like, like you were saying earlier for some of those difficulty challenges that would, that would ruin the experience for me. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had to do canine master mode, I would probably not like the game as much as I do. Currently, um, I kind of just go through it, but there's always some of those games, like some of the Dark Souls games, that I've enjoyed or loved the game so much that having that in my collection is kind of something I'd strive for. Mm -hmm. But it's not like, I need this now. It's kind of, I'll grind away at it if I get it this year or if I get it in five years. It doesn't really matter. But Yeah. yeah, there's a few that I'm working towards. Okay, cool. We'll get into it for sure. Uh, why don't we transition then a little bit? You know, we've talked about what they mean to us, why we like them, the balance that needs to be struck. But I'm curious, you know, Danny, was it, do you have the temptation to go back, right? Because you set this goal for yourself that I'm going to get 100. What a way to kind of bring in 100 platinum trophies with something like Near Replicant plays into your love of JRPGs. I've not gone deep on Near Replicant yet, but I certainly plan to in the future. Uh, you love the game. You loved getting the 100th plat, but... I've been seeing some screenshots on Twitter you've been posting. It's like you're teasing me, buddy. You know, you, you're like one trophy away from the platinum and rift apart and stuff like that. So what what's the deal with not wanting to – are you afraid that it's like you're going to go back and you're going to go deep and try to go to 200? Uh, I'm not trying to, you know, interrogate you or, or put, push you up against the wall. I'm just very curious about – the 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 cho- uh, the choice to retire from collecting and uh, you know being very intentional about not even getting an accidental platinum. Yeah, it's a uh, l- lot of things to that. Um, I do love the fact that it does maybe bother you and some people. <laughs> a little little tease, little fun there. I kind of like that aspect of it. Yeah. But also, um, it also ties into me just recently pick up an Xbox, and mm-hmm. maybe the reason I haven't had an Xbox console in you know since the 360, I think has a lot to do with trophies and. And I do plan a lot of my uh, purchases, purchases and where I play my games around PlayStation because of trophies. And I think I missed out on a lot of stuff on, on a lot of systems like the Xbox and uh, even on the Switch. A lot of games uh, that's on both, I'd rather play on PlayStation. So so um, that's something that, that I had it, uh, that I was thinking about. And um, yeah, ever since I stopped going for them, I picked up a Series S and I beat um, five, six games on the Xbox. And mm-hmm. and I didn't even look think twice about going for the uh, achievements on that. And as far as uh, the retirement part, yes, the temptation is there. Um, none higher than with Tales of Arise, which uh, I've been recently and absolutely adored. And um, I, I am still playing that on and off, uh, more so because I want to see more of the game's content. And the trophies that did come, that was nice. And if there was any other 
Platinum I wanted. I always wanted one for a Tails game, but uh, unfortunately, maybe not this one. But uh, with the Rift Apart thing, uh, I think that one kind of came naturally. Um, the only one I didn't get was the the Shield Deflect thing, which that you kind of have to go out of your way to, to grind that one out. And um, with Mass Effect 2, one of my favorite games, I kind of just played that, did everything. And uh, yeah, like you said, another close accidental Platinum. And uh, why the 100? I think I kind of like that finality to it. Um, you know, yes, I can get 101 and 102, but is 200 really? I don't know. I, I kind of like the sound of 100. You know, mm, yeah. like the mm. next milestone may be 500 or 1,000, but that's never going to happen. And um, and also, I've noticed uh, I've beaten so many more games this year than uh, I have in the past several while going for platinums. I de- I definitely noticed that trend. I usually beat, you know, 30, 40 games. Uh, a couple years I got to 50. That was before I went for trophies. And, and I noticed a dip um, because, you know, going going for some of these trophy lists requires replays, hardest difficulties. So you take the good with the bad. Um, I brought up the, the good example with The Witcher. But, it, you know, there's definitely several titles and examples of where it made me like the game less. And, and I don't want to go through that anymore, especially, you know, for a game I love. Um I do have a code kind of like Dexter with trophy hunting. Uh, no, no, my name is Mayo for me, but mm-hmm. but sometimes, uh, yeah, you take it too far with a bad trophy list, it can kind of ruin the overall experience. And and uh, I'm I'm just trying trying to stay away from that more. And then I get more satisfaction with actually completing and seeing credits now than than I did with a uh, trophy. So so I guess that's just my outlook going forward. It's such a I almost want to say healthy outlook and and so respectable respectable because I've certainly seen that in myself a lot and and especially this year in particular like I look at the games that I've beaten and I've beaten just over 40 at this point this year every single one of them is on a PlayStation console whether 3 4 or 5 and my Switch library of games particularly because my wife is a big fan of the Switch and she kind of almost plays all of our games exclusively on Switch, our library continues to grow, and there's so many amazing games that are exclusive to the Switch that I can't play uh, on a PlayStation console, and to not play it just because I'm not going to get the satisfaction of unlocking trophies is ridiculous, and so I've certainly seen that in myself, and it's great to hear your perspective on that because it, it almost challenges me of like rusty what what are you doing like you know you're you're playing all these games on playstation and granted uh you know i have a, a an awesome shelf of a lot of playstation titles and stuff like that but if it's keeping me from going to um the switch and playing something like octopath or golf story or finally getting around to playing mario odyssey or something like that just because i'd rather play some stupid ass game like Flynn and Freckles on the PlayStation 4 and get a platinum trophy like Rusty what is wrong with you like go play Odyssey uh I think it just goes back to that idea of balance uh and that's something that I just need to keep myself honest I I feel like I'm like uh at some kind of like session with like a counseling session confessing we'll, we'll give to my... you a chip in like six months yeah I'm not trying <laughs> to make light of that or you know poke fun but like I seriously um yeah, no, I've certainly, uh, I would say the past year, this year in particular, I focused so much of my attention on the PlayStation side of things that I want to play that Switch. I'm missing out on it. And I've talked about for the better part of a year now how I want to eventually get a Series X because um, when I was tempted to get a One X last year mm-hmm. leading up to the launch of the next generation of consoles, uh, I didn't end up doing that, but I did in anticipation of buying a number of X one Xbox One titles that i just never got around to playing and now with the luxury of something like game pass there's just there's so much out there to play and and do that's that's home on the xbox library of systems that 
I want to get around to playing. So I love those those reasons. Very respectable. Um, and good on you, Danny, from kind of just like feeling good about, you know, where you got to with your trophies and walking away and be like, no, you know what? I'm going to enjoy some other games and uh, I'm going to be better for it. I would like if they would add something for like Nintendo, though. That brings up an interesting point, right? Is, you know, what could Nintendo do to introduce some type of trophy or achievement system that would be satisfying? Because, you know, playing Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, that game had achievements. And that's the weird part. Like, even Monster Hunter Rise has achievements within, like, your little book. But, like, for Monster Hunter World, you had, like, actual trophies where it says hey, get the crowns, like the largest size for that. Mm-hmm. And now it's just like, oh, it's in your book. And yeah. there's no, I don't know, just being able to show your friends like, hey, I kicked a lot of ass in this game. Uh, it's more, I mean, getting into the addictiveness of it, but like being able to say like, I enjoyed the crap out of this game and seeing what your friends really enjoyed through their achievements, not mm-hmm. just like, hey, you have 400 hours in Animal Crossing. It's like, no, here's what I've been doing in Animal Crossing. It, it's more of a community aspect if you want to creep on your your PlayStation or Nintendo friends. That would be neat, yeah, just to kind of see. Because, you, you know, they have, like, if I click on your profile, Ryan, I can see uh, to a certain extent the games that you've been playing recently, the number of hours you spent in those games, things yeah. like that. But I'm curious, Danny, would you, would you be in on some type of Nintendo ID achievement or trophy system for Switch games? Do you think that would add any element of... Uh, more enjoyment to the titles they have on the on the console. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Would I go for them like I did with the PlayStation trophies? Probably not, but I think that's a feature that is sorely needed on that platform. I mean, it's on everything. Steam has them, Xbox, PlayStation. So, um, besides just the satisfaction of you know earning the platinum or going for the hundred percent, I think having you know uh, tracking games, I think is important for uh, not only us just to you know have nice. Uh, Nice catalog of games. I like going down, just not looking at the trophies, but looking over the years, what I've played, how my tastes change. And I think that's a fun exercise. Even looking at your friends list, I, I find a lot of interesting tidbits and stories looking at everyone's trophy list. Like just over the years, what kind of games they're into, what they play and what they finish. And um, another aspect a lot of people don't bring out, it's a great tool for developers. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a lot of good information for them sometimes. Uh, the games have bad trophy lists, bad level design. They can see how many percent people go for. Maybe they could improve in a sequel. They look at the list like, all right, a lot of people are stuck in this. They're not getting past the first chapter. What's going on? What can we do better? I think that's an important tool you know, and, and statistic for, for uh, game makers to have and, and look into. If they're smart, they should look into it. And um, and as popular as trophies are, like, like you said, some games are made around trophies, but a, a smart game developer can, uh, can do the best of both worlds and design a game, you know, to be fun and, and have a, a great trophy list to accompany it. And, and Nintendo, you know, they're nothing but if not fun, right? So they'll be perfect for it. Um, how they have like Nintendo rewards points. What if Nintendo can have their own achievement rewards points where you can unlock, you know, I don't know, exclusive avatars or some, some mm. cool rewards tied to the Nintendo system. I, I think if they really put their mind to it, they'll be great at it. Yeah, I guess I didn't, I wasn't thinking of the analytics, but that's a really good point. Um, just to make everything better. Um, one of the complaints, I guess, for Rusty and I in the last couple episodes is their lack of innovation when it comes to whether it's their platforms or some of their game designs. Um, they kind of become stagnant. And I think trophies is a good point. But yeah, the analytics is 
really good information, even just going on like that PlayStation. What was the website? PSNProfiles.com. Yeah, I guess I've never looked at my trophies seriously until prepping for this episode. And <laughs> I, I texted Rusty last night like, oh, shit, like now that I have analytics for like my trophies and seeing all this, I'm like, I'm afraid that I'm like, maybe I should get some trophies, mm-hmm. <laughs> like scratching that itch. But yeah, it's really interesting to go back and archive um, just what you've done. Yeah, and I think for Nintendo, what would be most interesting for me is just some of those first-party titles like Breath of the Wild. Like, It'd be so interesting to see what percentage of players make it past that moment or how much further past that moment when you walk out of the cave and you're kind of introduced to the title Breath of the Wild and then you kind of like fly off of that uh, cliffside and you're you know, you go on this grand adventure. I'd be so curious. Like, I know Breath of the Wild is talked about in the same light as Ocarina of Time at this point, and it being this masterpiece of a game. But I'd love to see the analytics behind how many people actually got to the credits well, in Breath that, of the Wild. That's what was so interesting when I was playing Dark Souls and stuff. You look at individual bosses, and they're like, okay, fuck. Like, right out of the bat, six, like five minutes into Dark Souls 3, that first boss has a 80% success rate. You mean you chopped off like 20% of your players five minutes into the game. Yeah. But like, yeah, especially for Nintendo, that would be really interesting. Especially even some of like the Pokemon games over the years. We've we've talked the the Game Freak Pokemon Company uh, stuff to death. But I would just love to see kind of the analytics behind that. I really, I I rarely think about that, Danny. And you brought up such a good point about how great a tool that is for developers, uh, particularly with games a little bit more challenging. Like I'd love to see... Um, when, you know, the, the dust is kind of settled for Kena a year from now, what the analytics look like for trophies in that game, because yeah. you're right, it is, a, it, it's deceivingly challenging. You know, that game is pretty difficult and I would struggle to recommend that game to a parent for their eight to nine to 10 year old kid, because it's probably going to kick that kid's ass. Yeah. Unless they're playing on story mode. Um, yeah. Any other difficulty is going to be rough. Mm hmm. Yeah. I mean, probably not as much as like Mega Man for you at four years old, which is ridiculous. But yeah, it's a it's a difficult game. It but is. I mean, even like in Pokemon games, like I don't know if it would be like a gold trophy or whatever they decide to do. But completing the Pokedex would be a really interesting stat to see. Like, I think it's close to like 10 to 15 percent or less that complete the full decks. But that would be a really interesting stat to see. Yeah. No doubt. Well, speaking of stats, what do you say we transition a little bit into some individual trophy stats between the three of us? Um, I know I kind of, you know, threw it out there to, you know, prep your rarest trophies or, you know, your your rarest platinums or whatever. But, you know, we can kind of just um, go around the horn here. We'll start with you, Danny. You know, first of all, let me just encourage everyone out there, whether you've been playing games on PS3, PS4, PS5, however long you've been doing it. Go to psnprofiles.com, you know, throw in your little username there and update your profile. The analytics they have out there, and it's a free tool to use, is mind-boggling. You can see ranking by rarity, breakdown by PlayStation platform, so even including the the Vita, the, the PlayStation 3, 4, and 5, monthly activity trends. So, like, when are you traditionally unlocking trophies by month, time of day, day of week, there's even like a trophy chart that, you know, shows your leveling history. So as you go each 10 levels, it'll show you which trophy and which game and the day you got it that pushed you over a certain level. I mean, it's it's insane that those analytics are out there. Uh, 
Big Brother's watching PSA announcement. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> Herman Holst, we see you. He sees yeah. me. Uh, but yes, go out there, psnprofiles.com, update your user profile and check it out. It's an awesome tool to use. But Danny, we'll kick it over to you. Walk us through some of your highlight analytics. I, I'd love to hear some of them. Yeah, sure thing. Um, so I have uh, PSN profiles uh, pulled up now. Like you said, great tool. Um, the percentage on these are going to scale higher because these are getting from the pool of other fellow trophy hunters with this account. So this is not the whole PlayStation um, you know, user base. So so the real number is going to actually be lower. Uh, if we're going to go into some statistics here, let me see. Uh, some some one of note. My rarest one is a platinum uh, one. You're probably not expecting. It is for WWE 2K19, <laughs> a wrestling game. Wow. This one sits at one point one point five two percent, which is an ultra rare. Um, pretty hard one to get. Like all sports games, simulation games. Uh, I really got bit back into wrestling when this game came out. So as far as uh, n- numbers go, statistically, percentage wise, that would probably be my rarest one. Uh, I think it's under one percent on the the actual PlayStation uh, records, but on the PSN profiles, it's 1.52. Um, one that I want to bring to attention for you guys, are you familiar with uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 or you heard about its trophy list? Not his trophies list, no. It's a great game, but I not the trophies. Yeah, I guess uh, this can be one that uh, one I wanted to go for, but kind of eluded me and uh, I gave up on. But the two trophies I did get for it that are pretty pretty difficult it's called zoologist and skin deep um as if you know this game's full of animal and wildlife you can hunt them uh, find them skin them for materials well with these trophies you have to uh study and spot every single types and species in the game so that's every snake every bird every type of you know wolf and dog and not only you got to scan them you're going to skin them and uh there's probably over two three hundred of them uh, a lot of RNG got to be in your favor. They spawn certain times. So, yeah, can't believe I went for it, went through all that trouble and not get the platinum. But uh, <laughs> that's that's one that stuck out to me. Very cool. Definitely uh, definitely reason why I got so many hours in Red Dead 2. Interesting. Interesting. Any other uh, highlight stats or anything that you wanted to point out? Uh, yeah. Um, one, one that is uh, one I, I kind of like to, you know, put proudly that's pretty rare as well and that is uh catherine full body uh oh game by atlas very unique title i highly recommend it's one i went for on the ps3 but uh gave up on it because it was too difficult so um that one always escaped me and when they announced a remaster i kind of made it a goal probably even more important than the 100 was no matter what i have to get the platinum for this game um the reason it makes it so challenging because it's a mo- mostly a puzzle game and the puzzle mechanics itself is already pretty difficult. Um, you have to, you know, get gold rankings on all the hardest difficulty, get all the endings in the game. Uh, it's very story-based. But uh, the, the most difficult one are called the Babel Stages. These are um, optional, randomly generated, uh, tall towers you have to climb up with blocks. And, um, yeah, like I said, it's randomly generated, so... There's no guide that can help you with this, so you ha- just have to be really good at the game and uh, just ho- pray for some luck in your end with some blocks that fall in and, and work in your favor. And uh, yeah, that was one I conquered in 2019 and was very proud of. And um, a stat that's interesting, um, 
like I said, first platinum was Heavy Rain uh, and PSN profile so good with like breaking down like, you know, your 10th platinum, your 50th one. Yep. Uh, one that's not on here that's interesting is uh, my 69th platinum was Senran Kagura Estival Versus. So so that's just a personal thing. <laughs> nice. Those are just a few of my stats. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, all really interesting ones too. Catherine was never a game that uh, I figured I was going to go deep on. I never even ended up buying it. But another one uh, that's notable in the gaming community for its kind of interesting uh, collector's edition back on the PS3 360. I'm pretty sure you got a pizza box with some boxer shorts or something crazy like that. <laughs> so, uh, yep, a pillowcase, sexy pillowcase, and uh, some heart heart uh, boxers. I still have it. <laughs> oh my word who else but atlas right that's so so wild very cool well ryan do you want to go ahead and uh, i'm sure you prepared like 45 spreadsheets for this but uh, do you <laughs> my less than impressive uh trophy list do you want to share some uh, interesting highlights for you stat wise <laughs> yeah, it looks like so i guess for my first couple trophies they're all resistance three um so i didn't any of those crazy things that i did for um resistance one just all of like the hardest difficulty on those levels apparently i didn't have a playstation uh, account at that time oh interesting so um it was like what was it helping hand was my first so it was received 20 co-op players or co-op player 20 times and that was probably lauren and i playing through that grinding out some of those guns to get the final third level mm-hmm very cool. Uh, my rarest is not that rare. It's not a 1% or 1.6%. It is a 12.20%, and it's for Skyrim. It's defeating a legendary dragon. Oh, okay, cool. Um, which is basically you play a lot and then dragon spawn, so mm-hmm. nothing crazy. My second one was really interesting. It was, I don't know if you ever played this, Lord of the Rings Conquest. <laughs> Have I ever played this game? <laughs> yeah. Come on now. And I think, is that the Battlefront? style one it is yeah Yeah. i think that was pandemic one of pandemic's final few games uh but it played very similar to the the battlefront games i actually enjoyed that one quite a bit that was a ton of fun i really liked it i wish they would have done more of those um but the achievement that i got was you you have my bow so it's basically kill 20 people with legolas Mm, mm -hmm. so pretty good and then the last my third one was with rage uh, fun game um as far as stats go i think the one that I'm most proud of is probably Dark Souls 3 mm. uh, for Platinum. I only have eight Platinums. Oddly enough, I have seven completed games, but eight Platinums. And I think that's because I'm one trophy off for Horizons DLC. Oh. Ping- not pinging that one. But yeah, probably Dark Souls 3 is the one I'm most proud of. Um, there's a lot of collecting in that when it comes to spells, miracles, and then the rings was probably the hardest. Yeah, I remember you were playing Dark Souls 3 like nonstop during the pandemic. I think it was like 500 hours to trying get to unlock that. Um, I'm sitting at a 251 level compared mm. to your guys' 400s. Mm-hmm. So I have a little ways to go. Um, I complete about 28% of the games and then 119 games played, which seems crazy over the years. Mm-hmm. And I'm ranked 540,000 in the world. Wow. Okay. So I I have some people to kick off the ladder. But that you do. <laughs> that you do. You've got some work to do. Yeah. No. I I didn't know about this uh, website before. Rusty told me about it earlier this week, and it is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll definitely have to get into the graphs or get more trophies so I can get more stats. Hey. Why don't you do both? Yeah. So what about you, Rusty? What? Very cool. So um, yeah, I could go a number of different ways with this. I'll I'll kind of 
top everything off with some of these highlight stats and then go a little bit deeper into some of my my actually trophy unlock highlights. Uh, this is going to cater to a specific audience. You know, I don't know if many, many people are going to be interested in hearing me break all of this down. But you know what? <laughs> I'm sure there is one person out there. His name starts with Blinkoom that uh, he might be wanting to hear these stats. So here we go. So I have 357 games played, 61 plats. <laughs> And that comes to, based on the way they break all of this down, 1.58 trophies per day. I'm not sure how they break that down based on maybe my first trophy unlock compared to total trophies unlocked. You said 1.8. That's like three times more the trophies than I get. I'm at like 0.45. Yeah, well, you know, you got some work to do, like we said. Um, So I'm actually ranked 61,583 in the world and 15,745 in the country. So I imagine I'm going to get a call from the president and uh, invite to the White House just about (laughs) any day now for my accomplishments. But um, but yeah, so that those are kind of like my higher level um, stats, if you will, kind of going into some of my highlight trophy unlocks. My first trophy ever, you know, you get a PS3 in the late you know, 2000s, you know, 2012, I think is when I got it. Uh, There's really only one game you're going to play on the PlayStation 3 at that point in time. And that's, that's gotta be the Simpsons arcade game. So (laughs) Dysfunctional Family was the first trophy I unlocked in March of 2012. My first platinum, I think very fitting for the games that I like to play was Sly Cooper and the Thievius Raccoonus, which of course was on the HD remaster uh, collection there on the ps3 my thousandth trophy we talked a lot about dark souls and bloodborne this episode was blood gem contact Mm. and and so here's the difference that you see here my first platinum was in 2013 my 1000th trophy was unlocked five years later when i was playing bloodborne so uh there was definitely a significant gap where within when i was in college wasn't playing a lot of games certainly wasn't playing much on playstation and your 2000th trophy is like a year later uh, four days later, actually. <laughs> no, it was uh, it was about a year later, almost to the day, actually. Really? Yeah. Shit, I was. Wow. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. So you look at the graph, and it's pretty intense. Uh, how significant? <laughs> yeah. Uh, like an exponential curve. <laughs> there definitely is quite the exponential curve on there. But then you get into kind of my highlight platinums, uh, going by, uh, I guess gaps of 10 if you will my 20th platinum was battle for bikini bottom spongebob that kind of remake of that early licensed ps2 gamecube game and then my 30th platinum was ghost of tsushima my 40th platinum was star wars episode one racer and my 50th platinum was rift apart so uh pretty fitting games of course in between them you're gonna get foxy land returns and Little House on the Prairie, uh, whatever else I, I played that I'm not super proud of. But uh, I think for the most part, um, you know, the past two years or so, I've been kind of going hard on some of these other games that I, I'm pretty proud to have gotten the Platinum on. You know, something like Far Cry 3 wasn't too terribly challenging, but uh, was kind of a pain in the butt at the end when you had to go around the island and collect a bunch of relics or stuff like that. But when I think about my most proud uh, platinum that I've gotten, and I definitely want to kind of go around the table here and here. Everyone else is is um, ukulele is definitely kind of a top one for me. Not necessarily for its challenge, but just because um, I obviously love 3D platformers. When I think about 
the 3D platformers that I've gotten the platinum for, that was probably the most challenging, but also maybe the most fun because of how satisfying it was to, you know, I, I think about those minecart levels that were pretty dang brutal uh, later in the game. Uh, and even just finding some of the collectibles, you know, using a guide, they were pretty tough, but definitely very satisfying platinum to have gotten. And then earlier this year, not many people uh, have this one. And we talked a little bit about it here on the psnprofiles.com. They don't, I don't believe, track stats unless you've updated your profile. So if you're looking at who's gotten the first trophy in, in Modern Warfare, they're only going to show the stats for people that they've tracked, which are people that have you know gone online and updated their profile in a way for you to track your trophies against, if that makes sense. But Tamarin was a little 3D platformer. It's basically the spiritual successor to um, Jet Force Gemini. This little indie developer or smaller developer ended up making this game. Didn't get a whole lot of traction. I'm pretty sure it's sitting at like a 33 on Metacritic, which I think it's pretty undeserving of that amount of criticism. It's not a great game. Uh, but that was the one with like the red pandas and like guns. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's kind of a half 3D platformer, half on rails uh, corridor third person shooter type of deal <laughs> little weird but definitely pretty tough because you play something like Kana today and you kind of expect to have a fast travel system right and a map where you can clearly identify where you need to go tamarin is not really feel like a modern game because it doesn't have any kind of fast travel its sense of direction pretty much isn't there at all which makes getting the platinum really tough when it's kind of a collectathon and there's a lot of stuff to do a lot of stuff to collect and if you don't have a map that's tracking where you need to go to get that final thing it uh makes for a pretty tough and and, and sometimes frustrating uh platinum to get but definitely one I'm, I'm i'm happy and proud to have gotten but psn profile says that of the 407 owners of the game or people that have logged into this this site only 56 of those 407 people uh, have actually gotten the trophy so wow. um Kind of an interesting You're little an tidbit group. there. I, I think so. <laughs> the Tamarin Elites, that's for sure. Yeah, SEAL Team 6 of the uh, gaming trophy world. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. But Danny, yeah. let's go back to you. You talked a little bit about The Witcher 3 and Catherine. Any other platinum trophies that you're really proud to have gotten over the years? Uh, yeah, those two definitely highest on my list. Um, I think I already brought up, but Bloodborne was definitely one. Um, the one that kickstarted all of this. Um, definitely not, not the hardest Souls platinum probably it's not as grindy as what ryan had to go through at dark Souls 3 or probably any other dark souls game but uh yeah just just uh the the rng and the persistence of getting through the chalice dungeons itself it's it's uh kind of a pain but having my good buddy ultimate floyd there with me to mm. help me through it some of the bosses uh definitely made the experience uh worth it not 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 only prouder ones but a, a good good memory as well with with playing with a with a buddy so so bloodborne probably definitely have to be one of those very cool and and I have to know too what what was like the most pain in the butt platinum trophy, but you just felt like I've made it this far, I have to keep going and get this. Any any examples of that in the one hundred that you have? Yeah, de definitely one um, example of like a, a bad, not only bad trophy but bad trophy list that almost ruined some of my enjoyment of the game, even though I still love it. And uh, it's a series I talk about constantly, and that's the Legend of Heroes series, Trails of Cold Steel. Uh, I've gotten the platinum for all four cold steel games and they all have similar lists one that stuck out that uh kicked my ass in cold steel 3 was to open every single treasure chest in the game 
and there's over 200 of them, and oh, most of them are missable. You cannot go back to a lot of areas. So if you miss something, and, and they don't they don't track the new game plus. So what happened was oh, I was I was already on new game plus, you know, doing cleanup because I have to beat new game plus to to get the other trophies anyway. So that's fine. I'll get all the treasure chests in um my new game plus. I I, I think I missed a couple in the first one, and that was fine. But uh, yeah, going through new game plus, uh, doing all the other stuff, collecting everything. I missed it again, and I only missed one, and I couldn't find out which one. So I had to replay a game for a third time. You oh, know, man. mind you, this is a 67, 80 hour JRPG to find this one damn treasure chest to open to get this trophy. Oh, and uh, yeah. once I figured out which one it was, uh, I couldn't find a save to go back to to you know to go back to earlier. So I had to do a unnecessary third play playthrough. But thankfully, I turned it to easy. Skip all the cutscenes. It, it ended up only taking about fifteen or so hours, but okay. that one stuck out to me. It was total total pain and almost ruined my enjoyment of of a great game. Otherwise, that's tough. You know, I have one example of that with Ratchet and Clank from two thousand sixteen. Uh, when I beat that earlier this year, I, it took me three playthroughs, and by the third, you know, there's one. Uh, trophy where you have to basically use this disco ball gun on every single enemy type in the game and the first time through i was like you know screw this i'll just do this on new game plus you know not a big deal new game plus i i felt like i went through every single level i used it on every enemy every boss and i got to the end and the trophy didn't pop and i'm like what the heck did i miss and of course now i'm thinking like there was a boss battle that i can't replay so i can't I'm not, the trophy's not going to pop even if I go through each of the levels and revisit them. So I went through again. I did another New Game Plus run. And thankfully, with something like that, that only takes me like an hour and a half, two hours to get through again by just similar to you, skipping cutscenes, putting it on easy, and just brushing through. But I cannot even imagine how demoralizing it is for something with the scale of a JRPG. It took you in the base game maybe 60, 80 hours, and then you're like, what what treasure chest did I miss this time? You know? Oh my gosh. Well, kudos to you. The dedication is uh that's crazy. Good on you. Yeah, that's ridiculous. I would have rage quit. <laughs> I, <laughs> there there's some miss so for like the Dark Souls 3, there's some missable stuff if you don't do an order. Um, for more of the faction based things, but it's you make a new character, run two hours back, but like full JRPGs missing stuff. Yeah. Definitely kudos for that one. Yeah, that's that's pretty dang intense. Um, you know, I kind of talked about, you know, my most, uh, the Platinums I'm proudest of having. That's, you know, Ukulele, Tamarin. Uh, Ghost of Tsushima was another one, too. I just, I love that story. And we talked about it earlier in the episode, how, you know, for you, Danny, going through The Witcher 3 and going for the Platinum, you saw more of that game than you ever would have if you weren't going for the trophies. And Ghost of Tsushima's, I think, another example of that with all of its side quests as well. Um, you know, Sucker Punch really did not mess around with the character development, the storytelling, even outside of the main storyline. And that was a really fun one to go for the Platinum just because I did all of those side quests and I got a greater appreciation for the the world that they built, the characters that they created, and just overall Jin's path uh, throughout the, the course of that game. It's just su- such a greater appreciation by going th- uh, for all the trophies in that one. But um, that that's really it for me in terms of like trophies that I'm proudest of. I'm sure I could pull... A couple other ones, but Ryan, any any for you? Yeah, I mean, I don't really have a ton of platinums. I think <laughs> looking at the list, it was half of them are like ninety six percent of the people have the platinum. 
because it's like Foxyland, some of those little platformers that we've done. Um, I think the main ones that I'm proud of are Horizon, which is my first one. And then I have Dark Souls 3 and Dark Souls 1. Mm. Um, Dark Souls 1 is far easier because after you beat the game once, there's this glitch where you can basically go get a boss soul and duplicate it to all hell. So you're ready to go with like really good armor and levels and stuff. So that's not the hardest. It's more just the tedium. There's a few that I'd like to get into the fu- like in the future. Um, similar to you, Danny, Bloodborne is one of my favorite games of all time. And that's one of the ones where I still have the chalice dungeons left. And then I, like one trophy to the platinum. Um, so that's one I want to get in the near future. Sekiro would be great. Really just max out the Souls series besides Dark Souls 2. Um, I started that grind, but there's a few bosses that, like uh, Demon of Hatred and Owl Father, that I like tearing my hair out trying to do. Um, but I started like Kingdom Hearts three was one that we tried to you were trying to do for your fiftieth that I only have a few trophies left, which would be cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then besides that, maybe God of War mm-hmm. or uh, finish out Ghost. Okay, yeah, Ghost would be a good one for you too, and it's certainly God of War. Um, I guess kind of turning the tables to you, Danny, asking you the question, you know, if you, if you were, you know, if you're like Michael Jordan, you're like, man, I want to make one more run at this, you know, and you, you <laughs> Let's go, go back to the wizards, you go to the wizards, you know, and you start your, you know, your platinum trophy collecting journey again. Is there any trophies or platinums that you'd like to either go after for a game that already exists or, you know, even looking towards something like Final Fantasy 16, any platinums in the future that you might want to go for, uh, theoretically speaking? Uh, theoretically, if I change my mind suddenly, um, nothing. I haven't looked into the future really, but uh, just the one recently I brought up was Tales of Arise, uh, mm. a game I really enjoyed, and I'm not too far. I think I'm at seventy percent, and uh, I, yeah, I'm, I would love, love nothing more but to get the platinum for that. But uh, I have to fight off the temp- temptation and blue balls myself uh, <laughs> from that from happening. But oh, yeah, that's the only one that sticks out. Um, you know, like I did, Catherine I already got my redemption with that. Um, Maybe one of the Souls games. I think Elden Ring would be really interesting. Oh. If looking into the future, I bet that would have a pretty fun and challenging trophy list. If if ever came back, that that would be at the top of my list for sure. Yeah, that's a great that's one. A great idea. Yeah, it'd have to be my tenth. Yeah, yeah, you never know, dude. <laughs> Elden Ring is going to be here before we know it for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. When I think about the plats, I'd like to eventually get. You know, Ryan, you mentioned Kingdom Hearts three. That's a big one for me, just because. There's no way I'm ever going to get the Platinums in the Kingdom Hearts 1.5, 2.5. Those HD remakes, there's just, you have to play them on critical difficulty. There's a trophy where you never die. There's trophies where you never change your armor or keyblade. And I'm just like, it's trophies like that that get in the way of me enjoying what makes Kingdom Hearts so fun for me personally. So, uh, like, why would you not want to equip a new keyblade? when you unlock one in the next world, right? That's that's yeah. part of the fun of that game. So uh, definitely would never do that. But Kingdom Hearts 3, the platinum there, is definitely doable. I started grinding it out earlier this year, but um, there's just some things in that. Again, it kind of gets in my way of enjoying it. And when I start to creep into that territory, I just back away and I'm like, nope, I, I love Kingdom Hearts too much, especially uh, the earlier games and even 3, the more I think about it, uh, that I don't want the trophies to get in the way of my overall love of it. But God of War being another one, I played it literally not even a month ago. I, I wrapped that up, and it was just such a special game. But similar to something like Final Fantasy VII Remake, where I don't want to go right into the Yuffie DLC, 
I kind of want the base experience of God of War to simmer a little bit. Maybe in a year from now, I'll go back and grind out the Platinum yeah. uh, before Ragnarok or something like that. But right now, I need to kind of just soak in the glory of that base game experience. Uh, another one that most people probably would never want to replay, uh, and I don't blame them. Uh, I, I don't even know if I want to uh, tackle that mountain of a story again, but The Last of Us Part Two is also a very doable platinum. The only trophies that I haven't really gotten at this point are just collecting all of the stuff. So I just have to kind of follow a guide. And to be honest with you, I'd probably skip the cutscenes because I don't need to see those cutscenes again. It's <laughs> it's too emotionally taxing of a story for me to want to relive that. But when I think about platinums that I'd like to get but never get, and I'm curious if, um, Ryan, there's any for you. We, we, I guess we kind of already already touched on some of that, but... Final Fantasy 13 was always one that I wanted to max out the achievements on on 360 because I originally beat that game on the 360, but it basically required you to max out all of your character's Crystarium, which in the end game would take like forever, like well over 100 hours. Um, you know, I, I think the longest I spent with that game when getting to the credits was like 50 to 60. So to think that I'd be doubling my time just to max out my stats and grind everything out doesn't seem like too rewarding of an experience for me. Yeah. I'd rather just listen to the soundtrack for 60 hours on my work commutes and get a, a similar enjoyment out of it um, or just replay the base game again. Yeah, Final um, Fantasy X, the skill tree as well is pretty rough for that platinum. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. Final Fantasy games are definitely no joke with their platinum trophies. But the other one that I, I guess I'll throw out there is The Witcher 3. It's one I'll never get, but certainly I think one that would be pretty fun uh, at least going back through to get all the trophies for the DLC and side quests, not so much the um, the difficulty stuff. But but yeah, that's that's pretty much all I had to say about trophies, platinums, rarest trophy. A- any other thoughts about trophies, you guys? Danny, anything else you wanted to throw out there? Yeah, two things, Rusty. I mentioned to you that I want to do a little game. This won't take long at all. I think you and uh, Ryan would enjoy it. It's just oh, a quick, yeah. about five-question game. I'm just going to tell you the points. I think that'll be a fun exercise. But before we do that, I have a question for you, Rusty. I was uh, stalking your trophy list because you're my friend on PSN. <laughs> oh, and there's no. one that really stuck out to me. I have to ask you about it. And um, looking through some of the games... What's the deal with Megamind at 97%? So I think you're one trophy away from that. Can you can you tell me about that one? What's going I, on there? I can definitely elaborate on that, and it's been killing me. Some nights, Danny, I don't even sleep well. You know, I just think about that Megamind trophy that's just sitting out there. But uh, yeah, so earlier this year, uh, as I often do, I'll go on like an eBay binge for like uh, in a particular either genre or system where I can relatively – uh, reasonably go out and buy a couple games for. And I was on a licensed game kick. And Megamind was one that I saw was a relatively easy platinum. I enjoyed the, uh, I think, uh, DreamWorks movie. You know, it's pretty decent. So I was like, let's let's grab Megamind. Let's, let's go through this game. So I'm going through the game. I get all the trophies. No big deal. And then I get to the very end. And I'm, I'm following this guide as I get to the end because obviously I don't want to mess it up. And I'm reading to the guide and they say, okay, this last trophy that you need to get, you need to beat the final boss without dying. And I'm like, okay, no big deal. It's a kid's game. If I die in the boss, respawn and just, you know, kind of grind it out. Well, what I didn't know is that when you die on the final boss, you respawn at the very beginning of that level. And it takes like 
30, 40 minutes to get through this sewer level to the very end. And the health that they that generates on this final boss is like basically non-existent. And so I think I tried it three or four times and I didn't get it. And I was like, fuck Megamind. All right. <laughs> I don't need to play this game ever again. But now that you brought it up, you put a bug on my ear. I feel like I owe it to you, the listeners and all the trophy hunters out there. I, I got to clean up Megamind. I, I got to get- say, I, I feel like I think less of you now. <laughs> Most people do. Yeah. <laughs> Especially after that. No, I, I appreciate you bring that up because uh, it, it has been eating away at me that I haven't gotten back and uh, cleaned that up. Okay, I'm sorry. I, di- I didn't mean to bring it up and bring some some bad memories. That, uh, that's just one that stuck out to me the most on on your list. It's just, you're so close, and it's a interesting title that that, that I, I want I want to know why you went for it, and and just want to know how how close you are to it. Yeah, of course. Well, already, sir. Do you want to get into this little uh, little game that you have for us? Yes, I, th- I thought it'd be a, be a fun way to close out the show. Um, I call this. Is this a trophy? So I'm going to read the name of the trophy and uh, the requirement. And I want you guys to tell me if this is an actual real trophy for a game or if it's not a real one. And um, yeah, and I'll just tally the points if you get it right. And um, and if you do get it right, if you can name what game it is, you'll get a bonus point. And uh, oh, if you both, you know, shit. guess right, we'll, we'll figure out how to how to say the answer. Does that sound cool? I love it. This sounds yeah. amazing. Thank you for putting sounds this great. together. Let's do it. Yeah, no problem. Okay, so I have five of them here. So you got to spot which one is a real trophy, which one is a fake one. So maybe I'll start with a softball. All right, and you can answer at the same time. doesn't matter. It's called Mindleben. For this one, you have to beat the game on the Mindleben difficulty. So just to give you more information, it is the hardest difficulty in the game. You cannot save, and it is a permadeath mode where you cannot die. So you have to start from the beginning. Does this sound like a real trophy? So... It mind like leaving like leaving like mind um, mind leaving l-e-b-e-n so, so sorry i'm not good with german yeah it's true oh mind leaving okay um, mind leaving yeah uh, i'm gonna say this is definitely a real trophy it, yeah i i would say it's a real trophy too what are those um bethesda games with the the nazis oh shit wolfenstein wolfenstein I could see it if being you one. get you guys nailed it on the head. It is Wolfenstein. If you can name me the subtitle of which Wolfenstein, I'll give you the bonus point. So you both get one point right now. But if you can guess which Wolfenstein game, uh, you'll get the extra point. Whoever says it first. I've played zero of them, so probably I'll go with the first one. <laughs> New Colossus. All right, Rusty gets the extra point. It okay. is New Colossus. Fair so yeah, Dude, this, this is one of the most assistant? hardest uh, recent trophies that's been announced. Just because it's already hard to beat the game on the, the you know the max difficulty, but to not die at all and to get killed by in a couple hits and you have to start the game over, Im- almost impossible. Does anyone have that? Holy crap! Because that game was yeah. pretty challenging on some of the easier difficulties. Yeah, several people have it, and uh, they're they're mad, mad people for for doing it. Seriously, wow, that's crazy. All right, this is fun. I love yeah. this. All right, this is the first one. Okay, next question. Is this a trophy? The trophy's name is called Nice. You have to kill 69 enemies in 69 seconds. Is this a real trophy? It definitely sounds like it'd be a trophy. Yeah, and this sounds like some kind of Suda51 type of thing, too. Um, just All for right, locking it in? I'm going to say yes. Yeah, I would say yes, too. 
Okay. And um, oh. is it is it a real trophy? Enlighten us. Sorry, guys. It is not a real trophy. I made this up myself. And uh, <laughs> if I were to ever make a video game, I would make this one of my trophies. What's a GTA game? Like the a parody GTA game that they're Saints Row. Yeah, I could see this being a Saints Row yeah. achievement. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I was even thinking like yep. even Lollipop Chainsaw or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting yeah. enough, in Lollipop Chainsaw, there's a trophy for looking up uh, Juliet's skirt, which was also done in Nier Automata. So. Oh, my word. That's, <laughs> <laughs> That's why I was allowed to get that one. <laughs> Can't make this up. Love it. All right. Yeah. Cool. Okay. All right. Next one. So uh, we still had Rusty at two and Ryan at one point. Next one. Trophy name is called Up and Around and Side to Side. Beat the game with having both vertical and horizontal controls inverted. Is this a real trophy? Oh, wow. Probably. <laughs> they all sound like trophies. They really seem like real trophies. Up and around and all around. I, inverted both ways. Would that be a shooter, though? So inverted means when you hit the directional stick up, you're looking down. And the camera, look- the horizontal and the vertical axis, you have to invert both of them and beat the yeah. game that way. I'm going to say it is, Ryan, to you. Yeah, I'm going to say it. There's... Sounds like an asshole kind of trophy to do to people, but yeah, it I does. Say. And I feel like this is some weird first-person shooter. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I guess I I made a, up a pretty good one. It is not a real trophy, guys. This is fake. Really? That feels yeah, like something like they do in Duke Nukem or something. Like yeah. that would just be some weird, weird first-person shooter uh, trophy. Dang, it's like you've I can, unlocked I can, yeah, it's like you've Yeah, I can handle vertical inverted, but horizontal inverted is, is my brain can't compute. Yeah. Yeah, that would be brutal. That'd be brutal. All right. So we're still we're still at Rusty two and Ryan one. Two more questions, all right? All right. All right. Okay. Is this a real trophy? Trophy name is called Daywalker. What you have to do is defeat the boss hall monitor while equipping and wearing freckles. What in the world? This has to be some Silent Hill, Resident Evil stuff going on here. But equipping freckles? What? Yeah, game? I would say it is. Uh, you want me to read it to you again? It, it's probably not what you think, but when when I say what it is, you'll you'll, you'll get a aha moment. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. So Daywalker is the name of the trophy. Defeat the boss hall monitor while wearing equipping freckles. Yeah, I'm saying yes. Um. I'm going to say it is as well, but I'm just trying to think of the game that this might be tied What's to. What's that? Is a game called Bully? Wasn't that a game? I mean, you're in a school. No, but you're close. You're close. So you both, you get a point. It is a real trophy and real name. Uh, I, don't want, I don't know if I want to give you another hint. It's a Ubisoft title. So if you can tell me the name of the game, you'll get the extra point. Ubisoft. Um, a Daywalker? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to go through. It could also be Assassin's Creed. But you don't definitely not assassin. Yeah, I was gonna say like when you're out of the animus, you're. But you don't. Why would you attach freckles? Um, because I'm thinking last hint. Last hint. Colorado. Ubisoft Colorado. What the heck? I I'm at a loss for words. I can't think of. I'm probably gonna be kicking myself afterwards. You'd be like in a school. Yeah, I I have no idea. What is it? It is South Park, the Stick of Truth. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, that's that, an Ubisoft are, game. Yeah, yeah. Oh, are you guys familiar with uh, the show at all? It's it's an earlier joke and and reference. 
it's been so long since I've watched. Like my history with uh, South Park is downloading like a lot of the earlier seasons on my iPod Video. Yes, and yep. watching them on like a little three inch screen. But I'm not familiar with this joke. No. Yeah, so it is referred to a joke that uh, when Carmen was making fun of ginger people oh, okay. um, in one of the episodes, and uh, I believe, uh, I forgot, I think Kyle was, was one, he, he's the, the Jewish kid in school, and he had red hair, but then he was, you know, it's like, well, I have red hair and no freckles, and he's like, yeah, because you're a daywalker. So that, that's what he described, people, you know, with red hair, but no freckles. Oh my so, gosh. Wow, that's a good yeah, one. That, that's a good one. That's a joke in the game, in in. The, the first South Park game. Very cool. Because you played the, like, butthole one, right? Yeah, the fractured butthole. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's the sequel, yeah. Yep. So, yeah, very, very interesting games and, and fun trophies. So, so I still got to play the first one, though. Very cool. All right. We're, one last question. I, hope, um, I, don't, I don't know. I haven't decided on a tiebreaker, but we'll see we go to a tiebreaker. Okay. So, very last one. So, Rusty up three, the Ryan's two. Is this a real trophy? The name of the trophy is, I did it for the trophy. And what you have to do is watch a sexy video is, is the, what you have to do to unlock this. Watch a sexy video. I feel yeah. like this. Yeah, then, I, feel I like did all it for the trophy is the true. actual name. Uh, if what I'm getting, where I'm getting hung up with this is I feel like there's, I've known about a trophy where the unlock or the name of it is I did it for the trophy. The sexy video piece is where I'm struggling because I don't remember that being a requirement for something like that. Although I can see this being in like Animal Crossing or multiple games. Yeah. Um, no, I <sighs> going no or yes, Ryan. I'm going the opposite of wherever you go. <laughs> real or not real trophy? Come on, Ryan. I could see it being a trophy. I just don't know what it would be in. Like what games? So you're saying it is? Yeah, I'm saying. It. All right, then I'll say it, it is not. It is indeed a real trophy. Oh, so Ryan gets the point. <laughs> And Rusty, so we're all tied up, and I don't have a tiebreaker. So first one to guess what game it is wins, and I'll give you a hint. It is related to the game I brought up earlier, Lost Judgment. So it's tied to that. Which game could it be? Watch a sexy video. Which 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 RGG game you think it could be? Whoever says it first wins. Yakuza Zero. Ding ding ding! Rusty got it. <laughs> oh I was my like, god! You won. So I was <laughs> like, I know zero games. <laughs> I was either going to say the first game or Like a Dragon, because I feel like there's no way he's going to say, like, it's in Yakuza 3. You know, it, it had to be either at the beginning or the tail end of the series. So, Yakuza 0 it is. All right. Uh, before we end the segment, let me give a context to this trophy. Um, so, in Yakuza 0, you there are collectibles you find throughout the map. You pick up, they're like these sexy telephone cards. And then you go to this, like, little shady store, and you turn them in, you collect them, and you can actually unlock and watch... It's not really softcore porn, but it's very like provocative, you know, actually real life models. They, they actually got real life, you know, models or porn stars, whatever, to, you know, <laughs> undress and do these sexy poses. Oh my and gosh. The, wow. the very first time you go to in one of these stores, you go to this little cubicle room, very shady building. There's a box of tissues there. And when you pop the trophy, it actually shows the box of tissues and it's called I did it for the trophy. And that's, <laughs> wow. that's the story behind that. That is hilarious. Oh my gosh. Where else but the Yakuza games? Wow. Well, thank you so much for putting that together. I actually, yeah, to be honest, forgot that you had mentioned to me that you were putting together a little game. So that was such a nice treat to kind of bookend our trophy conversation. Glad guys enjoyed it. Learn something new every day. <laughs> that you do. <laughs> that you do. Awesome. Well, 
Before we get to the end, I know I always pass it over to Ryan for his little fun fact type of deal. Why don't you plug the heck out of yourself, Danny? It's been such a treat having you on the podcast. We'll definitely have to have you back on in the future to talk about JRPGs or whatever else we want to. But why don't you, you know, share with the good listeners? Where can they find you on Twitter? Where can they find you on YouTube? Yeah, sure thing. Uh, it's been a blast uh, talking and chatting trophies and everything with you guys. So I uh, would love, you know, to listen back and uh, hopefully come back on in a future episode, maybe more JRPG centric one. So uh, I'm mostly active on Twitter and YouTube. Uh, Twitter handle is DevilMayPie0. And on YouTube, just look up DevilMayPie. It can be all one word or spaces. You'll find me. Uh, I mostly cover. Japanese-centric games, JRPGs, uh, weeb shit, if you want to call it that. Um, I recently did a review for Tales of Arise, one of my favorite games from this year. Definitely check that one out. And I'm working on a couple others. I have a Halloween special plan for October. Uh, like I mentioned, Lollipop Chainsaw will be one of them. I'm going to do a fun kind of retrospective look there into Suda51 and, and James Gunn involvement and, and just a... Uh, just uh, my thoughts revisiting the game almost a decade later. But uh, yeah, those are the two places you can find me. And yeah, appreciate you stop by, say hi, and uh, hopefully we can chat about games. And I'm also active on Rusty uh, Otaku Brothers Discord, so you can uh, yeah, hit me up there as well. So that's pretty much Very it. Cool. Very awesome, cool. dude. Well, looking forward to that October spooky season special. That'll be fun. I'll definitely keep an eye out for that on YouTube. But uh, yes, that is a wrap, my friends. We've talked about Cana Bridge of Spirits. We've picked Danny's brain about a whole assortment of things. And we've talked more about trophies today than anyone probably cared to listen to. But hopefully you still found it entertaining. Maybe you learned a thing or two. And maybe we've inspired you to go out and join the rest of us trophy hunters. We've got some retired ones out there, but we'll get them back in the game someday. Don't even worry about it, all right? Hopefully it was fun and entertaining for all you fine people out there, and it's found you well. But as we always do at the end of our episodes here, I turn it over to my partner in crime over here, my co-host, Ryan. Any parting words or fun facts for the good yeah, listeners? Yeah, I got a fun facts, and I guess it'll be a question for you guys. So have you guys heard of the birthday paradox? I have not. What about you? No, Dan? sir. All right, so... I guess the next, the follow-up question is, what per, what number of people do you think it takes to have a 50% chance of, like, having a birthday with someone else in your class? Like, how many students? So, like, if you have a class of 30 people, the percentage of you having the same birthday as what, an as Yeah, what, how many students do you think it would take to have a 50% chance of having a common birthday with someone in your class? I'm going to say 10. So, same date, same year? Yeah. Or, no, just same date within... A 365 calendar year. I'm going to say 10 students. 10 students? Okay. What about you, Daniel? Um, I'm going by days 360. I say at least 365 people. <laughs> the safe bet. <laughs> so, like, you'd think that just fraction-wise, a hunt like 183 divided by 365 would get you 50%. But the number is actually 23, mm. which is kind of against your intuition of what you'd think fraction-wise. Because you initially you think like 23 over 365 doesn't seem right. But when you start getting into like adding up all the fractions, it becomes like different connections. It's all based off of the number of connections. So, like, your birthday has 22 connections. The next person's birthday has 22 connections. And it takes 23 people to have a 50% chance of having a similar birthday to someone. 
So you're describing the birthday paradox. What I think you're really describing is the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, because I'm pretty sure that, you know, my closest relative is somehow, by extension of those 22 or seven people, is Kevin Bacon. It's possible. I, I think mean, I just... saw him at one of your family gatherings. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so it, it's a surprising, like, surprisingly low number to get a 50% chance. Uh, and that's why, like, in grade school, you always had someone potentially that would have your birthday in your class, even for a class of, like, 23 to 30 students. Interesting. And to have, like, a 99.9% chance, it's a number of 75. Wow. That's... So. Pretty fascinating. Yes. Very interesting fun fact. And that's why you get to stay until the end of the show, people. You, you, we got to <laughs> plug our guests. Ryan's got fun facts. We've got fun music to fade out the episode with. So uh, that's why you have to stay till the end. This is an educational program. We talk about that a lot here on Otaka Brothers. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. If you're still here, we appreciate your company. And we hope we've kept you company over the course of this past Uh, Two hours and 20 minutes is where we're about clocking in right now. But Ryan and I will be back in two weeks for a very fun, special retrospective on a console that's celebrating its 20th anniversary this year. And I don't think you'll want to miss it. So stay tuned for that. And thank you once again so much for listening to this episode. All right. We'll be back in two weeks. And uh, Ryan, any parting words once again? Yeah. Thanks again, Danny, for coming on. And uh, have a good week, everyone. See ya.